Around Comics, Episode 15. Thank you for listening to another episode of Around Comics, where every week we assemble a new panel to discuss topics in and around the world of comics. I'm your host, Christopher Neesman, and I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime and the producer of the show, Brian Salazar. whoopity doo <laughs> Our next guest is a regular at Around Comics. He is the only person I know that can explain the Speed Force. He is Tom Caters. I have nowhere else to go. <laughs> And our next guest today is the host of the Geek Speak podcast. He is also one of the voices of the Mets Class A baseball team, the Brooklyn Cyclones. He is Ian Levenstein. Nice to be here. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the show and welcome to Around Comics. Today we are talking about the company men. That's right. We're talking about creators that are associated with one company, even if they have done work in other places. These artists, writers, editors, and publishers have left an undeniable imprint on the icons of the companies they've worked for. Now, this topic was originally suggested by Ian, and that's one of the reasons that we had him on the show today. Ian, we'll start with you. What are some of the pros of creators spending the majority of their careers working for one comics company? Well, I think one of the major pros that I've come across over my years working and reading with comics is mostly they get a better opportunity to craft their characters they're working with. Because if you work with Spider-Man, you're going to get a better idea of the character than you would if you're just on for a four-issue arc, a five-issue arc, or something along those lines. If you're exclusive with Marvel and you're dealing with these characters over and over again then you're going to be able to know their voice better than anybody. Similarly, if you're exclusive with DC, the same thing's going to happen. So I think it's definitely a benefit that some of these people do remain with one company because, well, who knows Marvel better than Brian Michael Bendis right now? And I, I would totally agree with you. And you know, we'll flip over to the other company, and you, know, you talk about how certain creators, you know, of uh, of years past, were there to help develop those icons and those characters. Where I think in today's comics, the the really top notch writers have an almost holy reverence for the characters that they grew up reading. Now, Tom is a big Jeff Johns fan, and why don't you expound on your feelings of Johns and how he feels about DC? Well, I think one of the uh big strengths that Johns brings to all the titles he writes is a real respect for what's gone in in the past. I think a lot where comics go wrong sometimes is um, a feeling of embarrassment about things that have happened in the past in comics instead of embracing sort of the wacky history that you can use. And there's ways of bringing in stuff that you would think is just ridiculous, but if it's written well, people will love it. And I think that's something Johns does really well, and I think it's a trait also, sort of a side note, that people like Bendis, it's not just a DC thing. I mean, I think Johns is really great at it, but someone like Bendis at Marvel, too, does the same thing. I think that's a great trait, is sort of the fearlessness to use the past instead of constantly trying to reinvent the wheel over and over again, which sometimes gets creators into trouble. You know, one of the one of the things that we look at in comics today as opposed to how 
you know, maybe people that grew up in the Silver Age look at him. And, you know, Stan Lee was the face of Marvel Comics. Now, for the, you know, the casual comic fan, I think that he still is to a large extent, but not in the way that he was in the 60s and 70s. Uh, do you see a need for that one unified face to a company? Sal, do you feel like you need that? Well, I think, you know, both companies have tried to continue that, especially Marvel. I mean, they, you know, Joe Quesada, to a certain degree, is the face of Marvel at this point. And, and I think DC is also doing that to some degree with Dan uh, Dito, um, where they're trying to recreate that magic that Stan had. And Stan was a, a brilliant marketer and self-promoter, if nothing else. Um, I think to some degree it helps to have that connection with the fans, with someone that you can relate to, someone that obviously is a, is a huge fan of the work, and it certainly can help to promote the books. On the other side of it, I don't know if it's it's necessary, and sometimes you can get mirrored in it, and, and, and things can become problems. You saw that in the past when you know creators were given too much of a... Uh, a lock on that company. Um, you know, Chuck Austin comes to mind, mm -hmm. obviously, and, and not to get into that, you know, yeah. rant or anything. <laughs> well, you know, but you even see it to some degree. You saw it with um, Dan Jurgens. I mean, he, you know, he was he was the public face of Marvel at that time, and when that kind of went sour, it really put a damper on what the company was trying to do. So I think it can work both ways. You just have to be careful with how much you ingrain yourself with with that. That person. I mean, look at Stan. He's still, like you said, you see Stan Lee, you think Marvel Comics, you think you know Hulk, Spider-Man, and all those characters. Mm -hmm. And I think Marvel would almost, while they use that to their benefit, sometimes I think sometimes they think or they they kind of wish that that would kind of go away a little bit and they get beyond it. I, I think they're kind of enjoying Stan's golden years right now with the company as far as, you know, being a being a being an icon for the company. Uh, Ian, do you think that comic companies, you know, and we're talking mostly about DC and Marvel here, do you feel like they need that one person at the top that is is the guy, the company man? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. A lot of the times... I would say yes, and then there are times when I say no, because there are some instances when you have the wrong person at the top. And if you've got one guy who's bringing an entire company in the absolute wrong direction, and everybody sees it except for the heads of the company, and before you know it, you're in a terrible, terrible place. And again, all you have to do is mention the years of you know Rob Liefeld and Chuck Austin, where Marvel Comics thought that they had something great when every, all the other guys were like, what the hell are you putting out every single time? Yeah. And, and I think that that can definitely be a detriment to the longtime fans of a company. If they've got one guy up there writing all the stories that they don't like, well, then what are they going to do about it? They're going to stop reading the books. Well, I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on, on the Liefeld years a little bit later. I, I think you know that was a, a perfect storm of events in industry and the wrong guy at the wrong uh, time at the wrong industry point. Oh, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> people. Uh, we'll get into it later. But yeah. people get so down on him. But you know, they they give him no credit for some of the breakthroughs. It wasn't all his fault. No, it was. It wasn't all his fault. And and he also did a lot of things to change the industry in a positive way. Sure. And, you know, regardless of whether you like his artwork or, or whatever. 
Uh, we have uh, a couple responses from the uh, the forum. We threw it out there for comments leading up to the issue or the episode. Uh, one of our one of our uh, favorite guests and posters on the uh, hey, hey, on Chris, the show. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I did, not to interrupt, but mm-hmm. I did have another thought on. Um, of course you did. Saying, well, <laughs> uh, I'm what Ian was saying, uh, you know, I think that both Marvel and DC have also learned from their mistakes like that, and, and you can see, you know, for a little while in the last couple of years, Bendis was sort of the face of Marvel. But after House of M and some of the reaction to that, you can see now, you know, Millar or Miller, Mark Millar or Mark mm-hmm. Miller, whatever, uh, is taking over Civil War, mm-hmm. and he's becoming a bit more prominent. Of a, of a person, of a, a creator, and a talent there. And on, on DC side of it, I think that, you know, with Jeff Johns, as, as much as he does there. Oh, it's know, still Greg Rucka yeah. and who are some, Tom, who are some of the other guys that uh, are involved? Mark Wade, uh, Morrison is involved with a lot of the stuff. Yeah, great. Uh, you know. But even so, they've kept them away from sort of the public eye as, as the faces of yeah. the company. Uh, it's kind of, it's almost like a, like a basketball team and that you've got the team captains in Bendis and Johns, yeah. but you know, you got the other guys in the team photo yeah. there. Well, one of the things about the, the whole way that DC is kind of handling 52 and everything is they've probably got together like the most obsessive group of DC like fans as far as writers. I mean, like Mark Wade is an encyclopedia of DC knowledge and mm. Morrison's obviously a huge DC fan. So they've, kind of lucked in, in John's, they've all lucked into getting people who can actually write and actually know a ton about what they're writing about. A lot of these guys, you hear stories about how the stuff they're writing is stuff they thought about writing when they were kids and they were reading the stories. And this is all stuff that's been sort of like running through their heads for years. They're big, big kids growing yeah, up. Yeah, big kids growing up. And do you feel that from what's going on in the climate of DC right now that it's it's these these kids that have grown up just loving DC and and now they're getting the keys to the car? Oh, definitely. With that, without a doubt. I mean, when you read a Jeff Johns story, you know that this story has been in his head for years before he's actually sitting down there and writing it. Similarly, when you read a Mark Wade story, you know that this guy loves what he's writing. I mean, you can just see in a Legion of Superheroes right now, he is a kid in a candy store right now, being able to write all of these characters that he grew up on, and all of these characters that he himself has a giant affection for. Well, he finally gets an opportunity to write it. When Grant Morrison was over at Marvel, I didn't nearly see the effect that he has over at DC. I mean, he was writing good X-Men, but I think he writes much better DC than he does Marvel. And I think you can tell it's also in the fact that he grew up with those characters, as opposed to the Marvel characters. I think there's no question about that. And and you see that, on, in my opinion, Tom's shaking his head at me. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, I think it's kind of... Uh, I kind of... Uh, I see the same thing with Morrison, in that when he wrote X-Men... I mean, his take on the X-Men was definitely a take of this is different from what has gone on before. Like, oh, that was Morrison's he, world. Yeah, that was Morrison's world. But then you see Morrison write something like All-Star Superman, and it is like the distillation of Silver Age Superman. You know, like it's somebody who obviously read these stories and has taken it and boiled it down sort of to the essence of what it is, just a sort of a contrast between those two sort of writing styles. Yeah, definitely it. And also, one thing that you can definitely tell is that the fact that Graham Morrison's work on Marvel is almost completely non-existent now when you look at the, at the X-Men titles. I mean, a lot of what he built 
was immediately thrown out the window. With DC, they seem to craft what he does a bit more and actually uh, respect it a bit more to me. Yeah, but his X Men role was just kooky. <laughs> I liked it until the end. The last one, even I, I love Morrison. I didn't get the last. The last <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, I, I can't. I know that that a lot of people, you know, are upset. Morrison fans were upset that they kind of, as soon as that run was over, they sort of washed their hands of it and completely, you know, ignored a, a lot of it. But at the same time, he had painted them into such a corner mm-hmm. with that arc that if they didn't. You know who's going to follow that up? How how do you follow that that story up and try and make sense out of it and go forward from that? So I can understand why they would do that. And I you know as much as I liked that his run on New X Men and, and thought it was intriguing and unbelievable stuff, I can't see anyone going from that and and trying to leave that all in and going forward unless it was Grant Morrison and and then you'd never. It, it was just too out there, as amazing as it was. You're listening to Around Comics. It's like talking to your best friend's sister, and she's hot. I have a question about, you know, what do you guys think, you know, all these great writers who obviously know their history, know the history of their characters, and love them, especially, I think Johns does it probably better than anyone, and using that to, to craft their stories so that, fans like us appreciate what they're doing, is it detrimental in any way to the industry because they can't, you know, they're not moving away from it or there's so much inside stuff that if you're not a 20, you know, 20 year fan of DC, you're not going to appreciate it? Ian, why don't you feel that one? Uh, well, you know, I think it's a positive and a negative at the same time because obviously you're going to have those return readers coming back and you know relishing in the fact that the stories that they read 20 years ago are still relevant today but at the same time you'll get those new kids those 13 14 year olds that are like okay i'm picking up this comic jean gray's alive wait no she's dead no she's alive what what the hell is going on here i'm so confused similarly when you look at DC Comics, and if you pick up a back issue of Superman during his death run, and you look at the title now, it's a completely different animal than it was then. Obviously, they've come, they've gone back to their roots a bit, and they're trying to make the character a bit more uh, centralized, and in that aspect, you're probably doing better with the history than you would if, say, you were taking every story from the last 40 years and saying, oh, we can't do this because we did this then, or we can't do this because we did this then. It goes against continuity. Respect continuity to a point, but not enough where you're completely confusing the incoming readers. Well, one of the things, I agree with a lot of what you said. One of the things that I think always comes up when this topic is brought up is the fact that People like to focus on continuity that's remembered, but you got to think about the huge percentage of continuity that's constantly being ignored all the time in every single book. Like, percentage-wise, I wish there was some way you could divide up how much stuff is written in like the 60s and 70s that people forgot about, like, after a year, and it's never brought up. And it's it's this weird sort of cycle of recycling certain things, and certain things get forgotten. But who says 20 years down the line someone won't go back to exploring when Superman was dead or doing something like that? Because it's always a taste thing, you know? Who knows what people's tastes are going to be in 20 years? It's always 
So it was a balancing act between making a story entertaining, but also being able to use the past. And well, I, I think that one of the one of the great things as far as using those little bits of information that you can pull through, you know, stories that are, you know, ten, twenty you know, 30 years old, if you look at New Avengers Illuminati, Bendis saw a frame in, what was it, was that the end of the Kree-Skrull War? I, I think it was a, a frame that had basically all of the members of who is now in the Illuminati, if, you, if you've read that, and it was just kind of this, just pass over it, frame, no big deal, but he took inspiration from that old story and that one panel and created this whole, you know, like underground Marvel, you know, group of, you know, of big thinkers and leaders. And, and it's that kind of, you know, holding on to the past and knowing the company that you're writing for that is, is great. Well, I, I think, you know, the history of comics <clears throat> lends itself so much to that because mm -hmm. you had these fantastic stories, but they were told in a very simplistic way. And so you can take elements from that and easily, you know, update them and add so much more depth and, and, you know, power to them by putting them in a more realistic, more, you know, uh, not as campy setting as they were originally. And I think you're seeing a lot of, of, of that now, you know, with, with both companies that they are respecting their history. I just, and I don't, I don't think I've really seen it at this point, but I would hate for new readers to pick up a book like, you know, Infinite Crisis. And I mean, I'm a, old, you know, DC uh, reader, but there's stuff in there I don't get, you know, and, and, you know, that's 40 years old or some, you know, little tiny thing that happened to some character I've never read about. Do you, do you feel it's important to the story, though? Can you still... Well, I think that's what they've done well, is that they they haven't made it essential. They've added it in, you know, they've, they've sort of sprinkled it in so that if you do pick it up, it's going to be a benefit. You know, you're, you're going to enjoy it. And if you don't, it's not a big deal. It's more of a yeah. lot of nods yeah. to the past. I think I also think it's the, one of the best things going on at both of those companies is they have had people. You know, you have your Bendis and you have your Johns and you have your Wade and you have your Millar. These aren't guys that they just handed the reins to. Like you are now the hot thing. We are now giving you this. Like, these are guys who have written a lot of stuff within that you know universe or have touched on those characters or you know done that, so they've kind of earned their way into doing it. Um, I think some of the problems in the 90s or, you know, when things go bad... Hey, you're really cool. Have the excellent... Yeah, you know, <laughs> sort of a, like, you can now have this book because you've written this other book well. There's no reason to think why you couldn't write this book now. Yeah, but which, did, did anyone see Brubaker coming? I mean, it, I, I no. know that people in the no, industry did. Oh, you, Ian? I mean, are you I, reading his stuff? Oh, Definitely. I am totally reading Ed Brubaker's stuff, and by the way, I gotta say, uh, Mr. Salazar, I especially enjoyed your guest appearance, <laughs> and that was actually really enjoyable. But now, in all seriousness, I love what Brubaker's doing. Uh, like, like we mentioned, taking the past and crafting new stories that won't confuse new readers, uh, but at the same time, the old readers going, "This is great. You're taking this little piece of history here and you're crafting it into a brand new story." The Third Summers Brother. I mean, the mm -hmm. third summer's drummer, when I first came into comics... Adam the, X? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. God. <laughs> Adam X, uh, oh my God. I want to wipe that from my memory. Uh, <laughs> but, and, and it was rumored to be Gambit at one point. Uh, and all, all, the, all this other crazy stuff. And Brubaker brings this brand new aspect to the story. It was brilliant. 
Yeah, the Krakoa angle was fantastic. Yeah. Because there's an entire aspect of X-Men history that we've never seen before that fits perfectly into the past, while at the same time, it just... It, it, it completely... It lends itself to, to new stories that Definitely. work so well. Well, you did that with Cap. I mean, he basically... He took the the history of Cap and Bucky. Bucky. And, and found... Yeah, but Bucky, who was, I mean, sure, an iconic sidekick, but never anything more than that. And he saw this great opportunity to open up that history and place a story in it that fits in continuity. It doesn't ruin, you know what, 50 years of, of cap continuity, and it's, you know, I know that some people are pissed about the whole Winter Soldier thing, uh, some old school cap fans. I think it's brilliant. I thought it was amazing. I love, you know, hard-ass Bucky. That, that is just what he did with that character and, and made him count and matter and made me want to read more. I, I want to see, like, you know, a Bucky series or miniseries set in World War II of just him, like, you know, sniping guys from, you yeah. know, Behind enemy lines well, or something. It's it's. <clears throat> I I have hardly read any X Men in years, and I was picking up Deadly Genesis, and I think it's great because it's such a great way of saying, okay, one of the big problems with <clears throat> the X universe has been there are so many books that <clears throat> continuity is just insane. So you know what you do? You go back to <laughs> when there was one book, and you start right at the beginning again, and you tell a story. From that point of view, and you take all these characters, and one of the great things he does in that story is the parts where like ghosts appear to each character, you know, about whatever horrible thing happened in their life, and then you remember why these characters were X Men. You know, you kind of forget what Nightcrawler's about all after all these years, and he brings a way of saying this is what. Nightcrawler is about. This is what Havoc is about. This is what these people's fears are. There's a lot of that has been drowned out by, you know, years and years of bad writing. Bad writing. So, I mean, it was, it was a really well, great reset of, you know. Not, not, not just bad writing necessarily, but just unimaginative writing and not knowing what to do any longer with these characters. Well, they, they, went, through, they went through the motions for about ten years. Well, yeah, it's hard, you know, I mean... Too much. Being a, bad, being a bad writer myself, I hate to, <laughs> to, to slam any writers, but I think to some degree it's just a matter of trying to figure out what to do with a character that's been around for 30 years. Well, you, at some point you're going to run out of ideas and you have to figure out a new way to sort of tell the same old story. I'll agree. I, maybe bad writing is, a, is the wrong way to put it. I think it's too it, much. Well, yeah. it was that, too, that's it was, probably yeah. more accurate. Yeah. It's just too much of it. I, I think it was more of a case of years and years of that being maybe the best book out. And, you know, for me at the time it was. You know, I was a teenager and I loved that. And so it was at such a high level for so long and then it kind of came back to the mean. Mm -hmm. And so bad writing, maybe not, just not exceptional. And I just want to say, I, I want to start petitioning everyone to uh, to sign up for Ultimate C.O. Salazar to be seen. In <laughs> for, for those of you who don't know... No, no, we don't need to get into it. Sal, Sal, Sal has uh, made his first comic book appearance. Uh, Ed Brubaker, who has uh, met Sal on a couple occasions, and they chit-chat online from time to time actually wrote in a character in the last issue of Daredevil named C.O. Salazar, and Sal got in touch with him, and he confirmed that it was, uh, that the name did come from Sal. So yeah, don't make it sound like... Well, 
I had nothing to do with it. Ed was just really kind enough to do that uh, because we had, we had hung out a couple times and and he was just a great guy to do that. And um, it's you know. I, well, I look like Shatterstar. I mean, <laughs> I have my swords with me. I mean, that's obviously Shatterstar was based on me. So. I see it. Yeah, see don't it. you? I'm gritting my teeth right now, and I have no hands. <laughs> But I just want to say, if by any chance, Ed, you're listening, I really, really appreciate it. You made my year. That was probably the coolest thing that, that's mm-hmm. ever happened to a, to a geek like me. So And, and Lark, um, uh, pump up the price on that page because he will pay anything Thanks. for it. Thanks. Oh, well, I, I, I will have framed someday the one issue of Spider-Girl that has my uh, letter in it. So there you go. I, nice. I, 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 I know. I mean, that one time where on, ta- on Tom DeFalco's uh, message board uh, over at the comic boards, I believe it was, he basically pulled the audience and said, "If anybody wants to write in for a Spider Girl, just post it here." And I was one of those lucky people who ended up with a letter inside the book. And well, that was that was amazing for me. You know, just seeing my name oh, yeah. right there, like Ian Levinson. I'm like, holy crap, that's me. <laughs> well, believe me, when I first saw that my name, you know, my last name, albeit in the in there. It, I didn't really think it was for me. I mean, I just thought maybe, you know, it was coincidence. But, you know, after getting confirmation from him that it was, in fact, that was pretty cool. And and, yeah. uh, and I just have to say thanks, Ed. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Yeah, I ain't getting no book. Stupid crew baker. <laughs> Listen to Around Comics, new, every Monday, and now with all new and improved bumpers between segments. The anticipation is killing you, isn't it? Um, I, I don't want to shortchange our forum uh, uh, members. We had some fantastic posts on the forum about this. Uh, our first one is from Darth Kramer, uh, one of our buddies up in Wisconsin. Sal, why don't you uh, tell us what Darth had to say? Uh, Darth posted, when I think of company men, a few names run through my head. Most of them for Marvel. Of course, there's Stan and Jack. Even though Kirby did a lot for DC, it's his Marvel stuff that'll always be remembered. And of course, there are the Ramitas. Their artwork is as important to Marvel as Kirby's was. On the DC end, I can only really think of Joe Kubert and Kurt Swan. Then you've got people like Dick Dillon and Carrie Bates, who did a good chunk of DC's work in the 70s. Do I think company men are good? Yes. If a creative team is kept on one book for an extended period of time, it will flesh out that book that much more. If there's a whole stable of company men, it'll lead to that much more of a cohesive universe. The downsides? I'm sure the big downsides are for the creators themselves, with keeping them away from some properties they may want to work on. Our next post is from Braxton. I guess you could think of company men as baseball players, or to better define an analogy, star baseball players. The pros are the building of their reputations with the backing of a big company. For the company, the pros are having the established star players on your team and selling your product. Also, with the comic industry so competitive, signed exclusivity is a huge plus for a creator who isn't sure where the money will come from next month. Sure, the creative options are limited, but a lot can be said for income, stability, and benefits. And uh, that brings up, you know, a couple points: is that we're getting more and more into exclusive contracts, and I don't know how long exclusives have been going on in comics, but it seems like about every two weeks or so, somebody signs a big exclusive. As a matter of fact, Ed Brubaker was just reported today, signed an extension to his exclusive. So we're, we're glad about that. I want to see more Cap and Daredevil and X-Men. Um, Ian, do you think that exclusive deals are good for the comics industry? 
You know, at one point, it does take away the fact that these creators, you know, get an opportunity to write for other companies. But at the same time, it's great to see that these guys will have food on their table for mm -hmm. the next couple of months or the next couple of years. I mean, Gail Simone, I loved her work on Marvel with Daredevil, uh, Deadpool, and uh, the couple of other works here and there that Gail Simone wrote. But she's doing so much more over at DC now with her exclusive deal. She gets to write what she knows, and she's guaranteed work as long as she's there, which is definitely a plus. And similarly, a lot of these deals do have clauses in them that allow uh, writers to continue their independent work, even though they're signed with a new company. So the, the comics that they're writing doesn't necessarily mean they won't be writing them anymore. Yeah, I, I like exclusives for the creators. Gives them health insurance. They have you know guaranteed work, and it's it's good for them. And so for those creators, I'm very happy about that. the The con to that is that I'll probably never get to see Brian Bendis write Batman, and that that upsets me. Well, not only that though, but you know, and we we touched on this when we talked to Phil Hester. I asked him about you know, does it take away, especially when you're seeing so many creators that are coming from sort of the indie world and being signed to these exclusives that you know the Marvel and DC tapping that 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 section of the market for young creative you know writers and artists are we missing out on the stuff that they would have created otherwise i mean if you know the gilbert you know or i mean if if you know gilbert hernandez had been signed to an exclusive 20 years ago for marvel mm -hmm. you know what would have happened to love and rockets that kind of thing i mean is is it taking away from the indie world and and what these creators would have really created with their own heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears? And are we missing out on some truly fantastic stuff that they may have otherwise been doing? You know, obviously for them, you can't blame it. You, 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 they're getting health insurance. They have security. It's a great thing for them, and, and, and you can't, you know, begrudge them that. But from a selfish, you know, standpoint, I'm just wondering, you know, Am I ever going to see another scene of the crime from Ed Brubaker now that he's you know signed or a sleeper or sleeper or you know a completely if, Ro life? if Robert Kirkman signs an exclusive with Marvel and has to stop writing Walking Dead, I will I'll die exactly. I mean that yeah. that's you know I mean to some degree you're still seeing you know like Bendis still does Powers. Yeah, but that's under the Icon imprint, which the, is yeah. owned by Marvel. Right, but he has the ability to do whatever he wants with it, pretty much. I don't think there's any editorial there, but that's a real exclusive group of people. And you have people like Warren Ellis, who, you know, he has an exclusive deal with Marvel, but there's so many exclusions in it that he can pretty much do whatever else right, he wants. Right, whatever you want, as long as it's not for DC, I think. Basically, yeah. <laughs> But at the same time, are we missing out on some truly great works that may have been done, or, you know? Oh, Wildstorm, you know, yeah. his run on authority. Yeah. I think you know, it's, call me crazy. I, I think I think that Warren Ellis's best work comes when he's working for Marvel. This might not be the opinion of other people because don't get me wrong. I love Transmetropolitan, but I think that would that that might be the one exception to the rule here. I think that his Iron Man has been extraordinary, minus the delays. You haven't read Fell, have you? Uh, I, you know what? Honestly, Desolation I, Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you're, you're talking to some Warren Ellis freaks here, and we're we're gonna have a throwdown on this one again. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I have their Warren Ellis T-shirts on right now. I think he does some really good stuff with Marvel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, I don't know if it's his best work, and, okay. and at least right. not my favorite stuff. Well, when given a choice between his DC and his Marvel, take Transmetropolitan out of it. Like I said, mm -hmm. I still think that he's been doing better, better work with Marvel than he had in the past with DC. Okay, yeah, but I yeah. still think that his creator owned stuff. Seriously, I'm fell. 
Desolation Jones, uh, Down Black Ass is a good good zombie. Down's okay. Oh, Planetary is just mind blowing. I I just read that actually. I got it at that the local LCS Dark Tower Comics. Uh, (laughs) This this episode of around ding five (laughs) dollars. I was gonna say I was gonna throw in. uh, You mentioned Bendis writing uh, Batman. I would I always have secretly really wanted to see Jeff Johns write Spider Man. Just to see that type of thing, but I don't even know yeah, if Jeff Johns did. knows anything about Spider-Man. Because you know, you look at people like Mark Wade, you'd be like, "Oh, Mark Wade writing Fantastic Four? How could that ever go wrong?" And then you know, <laughs> they'd never let Johns write Spider-Man because the first thing he'd do is kill off Aunt May. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd have he'd have Doc Ock punch her head off. <laughs> oh wait, oh wait, remember, it was just an actress. Yeah. 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 Uh, hey, we, um, I, I want to uh, I want to make sure and read David Price's post from the forum. It is this. Uh, you know, we we throw this out there on the forum, and, and David oh. he he has the most comprehensive forum post. It's and then like, he missed some. Oh, and then yeah. he felt bad about it because I pointed one out that he missed, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, don't, don't crush it." Like, <laughs> name some company, man. And then David makes this post. He's like, "Okay." Uh, DC, uh, Carmine Infantino, Joe Kubert, Dick uh, Giordano, uh, Marv Wolfman, Gail Simone, uh, George uh, Perez, Mike Barr, uh, Jim Aparo, Bob Lappin, Kevin McGuire, Jerry Ordway, Al Gordon. And that's his DC list. And for Marvel, he has uh, Stan Lee, and then he says, duh. Uh, Steve Ditko, uh, John Buscema, Jim Owsley. Uh, Jim Shooter, Bob Harris, Tom DeFalco, uh, Ron Friends. Uh, I forgot about half of these guys. I know, Senior and Junior Romita, you know, of course. Uh, Paul Ryan, uh, Walt Simonson. And uh, uh, he says after Walt Simonson, says, does good work with Kirby characters, but his Thor is Thor to me. Um, what, one, one entry, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> and, he didn't. <laughs> thank you, David. Um, and David is our number one fan. He, he's like the greatest listener. He's on our forum all the time. He's always helping us out. He, Dave, we, we love you. You're great. And with, with, without David, I wouldn't have three quarters of the stories I talk about on my show. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And we actually have a, a big announcement coming up a little bit later, uh, regarding David Price and, uh, and Ian. Correct, Ian? Yes, indeed. All right. Well, we will get to that. And you guys that, are, that, that, are you that, guys that, getting married or something? Is that, <laughs> why that, can't I quit you, Ian? David, David will you marry me? Oh. What well, one of the one of the interesting selections that David had on his list was George Perez, which is is interesting mm. because you know most DC fans, you know, Tom, who do you think of George Perez as as being involved with? Oh, Teen Titans. Teen Titans. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's what I remember it as. I will always think. I, and Christ, <laughs> yeah. uh, when I think George Perez, maybe it's just because I'm an old Marvel dork, but man, Avengers. 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 Yeah. Oh my God, he did too. the best Avengers. Uh, I think I do more so. Not that I, I mean, I, I, I read his Teen Titans stuff and, of course, Crisis. Uh, but when I think of him, I, I certainly think of the Avengers yeah. for, for whatever reason. Well, uh, one of the things uh, that when uh, David wrote out that list that I really noticed is uh, later on he mentions the fact that he forgot, like, um, Gardner Fox and Julie Schwartz. I was thinking a lot about um, those people because you have sort of a Stan Lee, Julie Schwartz type thing where these guys really kind of created the atmosphere those characters are in. And I've been reading a lot of Silver Age stuff in my free time. 
and I'm getting to the point in the Silver Age where Julie Schwartz stops editing things, and whoa, it's like a 180 in direction on the, in the Flash in the late 70s. Julie Schwartz stopped writing it, and like within two issues, they kill the Flash's wife, and he gets <laughs> dosed with PCP. Like, it's wow. like, wow, like Ross Andrew came in like after being at Marvel and was like, you know, let's let's really st- I'm gonna fuck with Barry Allen back. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading it, and it's like that, like a 180 in one issue, and you're just like, whoa, what's going on? And I look at it, and I'm like, oh, okay, that was the first issue after Julie Schwartz well, stopped editing it. You know, I, it's I funny am, that way. I am certainly of the of the, the mind that editors do not get enough credit, uh, probably not enough blame either, but, you know, they're... they're probably been a, a bunch of extremely important and good editors that have gone through Marvel and DC that I don't know. I've that that, that job has got to be like that. herding cats, man. Well, Marvel like went through like tissues in the late 70s, didn't they? Yeah. Like late 70s, early 80s. Like People were editors-in-chief for like... Well, they were trying to find the next stand. Yeah, like Marv cool. Wolfman was editor-in-chief for like the length of time it takes to like drink a cup of Marv, coffee. Marv, can you uh, come into my office and drink <laughs> everything in your desk? <laughs> What about all the different departments Marvel had during the 90s? They had, like, the X department with the X editor and, like, the uh, Spider-Man department with the Spidey editor, and they had, like, 12 different editors at the exact same time. Even, like, there were even some books where, like, one issue would be one editor and the next issue would be the next. It was absolutely crazy. Yeah, that worked. Yeah, and then you look at, like, people like, you know, Stan Lee and your Julie Schwartz and your... Carrie Bates of DC, who were on books for, you know, uh, Carrie Bates wrote it for over 12 years or something like that, like nonstop. Can you imagine a writer? Peter David on Hulk. I mean, like. That was like 12 years. Even we would complain if someone wrote it for longer. (laughs) You know, like even we would start to, you You know, know, like fans. Bendis was on Daredevil for how long? What, like four years? Yeah. And and, and that seemed like forever. And and it was good, good. yeah. And that was long enough. I'm glad he stopped when he did, you know, especially now. You have different, you know, I know there's there's been conversations between Bendis and Mark Miller, Millar, um, about, you know, Miller doesn't like to stay on anything for very long. It's like 12 he, issues. Yeah, 12, and he's gone. And, he, you know, his idea is that, hey, you know, it gets stale. I don't want to start regurgitating me. I don't want, you know, I don't want the Pauly Shore to happen to me, yeah. you know. And, and Bendis is like, well, no, I, I get better as I, you know, the more time I have, the, the better I think things go. And I think, I, you know, the more I can come up with them. And it's just, it's just a different philosophy. I think it depends on, on the writer. Sometimes I'd like to see Mark Millar on, on, on stuff longer than he is because I enjoy his writing so much. I was so bummed when he left Wolverine. That was the best Wolverine I've ever yeah, read. Yeah, he, he yeah. left it in a great way. That last <sighs> issue was fantastic. Ian, did, 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 did you read that 12-issue um, two arcs that Miller did for Wolverine? I read it, and honestly, after he left, I stopped picking it up. Yeah, you and a lot of people. It's like the only Wolverine I've been. It got to the point where they were almost trying to repeat what Miller had been doing mm-hmm. as opposed to stuff in there, and it really gave me no reason to actually want to pick it up month after month. Well, I'll say, uh, up until now, I, I, I was sort of in the same boat and with you on that book, but this latest issue that just came out this week, I actually, I, and it, I can't think off the top of my head, of the writer um, or the artist, I, I think they were just doing a single issue here, um, but it was it was extremely good. Um, it was it was something a bit different. It was a self-contained story 
um, about uh, Wolverine going to Africa to rescue a, a, a little girl um, at, at the request of uh, the Black Panther. And it was, a, it was really a fantastic story. It, it was just, you know, self-contained issue. Um, and like I said, I can't remember off the top of my head who did Stuart it. Stuart Moore and C.P. Smith. Yeah, I mean, I, I really would like to see them do more on that book because I thought they had a great feel for, mm-hmm. for the character and the art was, was completely different than anything I'd really seen before mm-hmm. and it really added something new to it. Can't wait until the next podcast? Be sure to check out aroundcomics.com for breaking news, reviews, and opinions. Well, guys, um, we can't talk about company men without mentioning one guy, and I think that he is at the heart of this conversation because he worked at multiple companies, but you look at his body of work, and he is... Alan Moore? No. (laughs) Sorry. You ruined my groove, man. I was... uh, Start over. Duh. Um, this, this guy, you look at his body of work and he is, in my opinion, undoubtedly Marvel. He is behind the creation of so many iconic characters and that is Jack Kirby. And I, I don't think that anyone on the panel today is a Kirby expert, but we are lucky enough to, as Tom raises his hand, um, we, we are, we are lucky enough to, uh, Kirby Puckett? (laughs) Dead. Um, sorry to all the Minnesota fans. Uh, uh, we are lucky enough to know a, uh, a Kirby enthusiast. I call him a Kirby expert, but you'll hear that uh, he doesn't agree with me, but, uh, but I think he is. And that is Bruce Rosenberger. And he was kind enough to send in a fantastic audio clip talking about the, uh, the lives and times of Jack Kirby. So let's go ahead and cue that up. Somehow I've gotten a reputation for being an expert on Jack Kirby, or at least within the podcast community. And while I wish I was an expert on something, anything, really, I honestly have to admit that I'm, I'm not an expert on Jack Kirby. There are people out there with a lot more knowledge than I have. But I did grow up with Jack Kirby as one of my favorite artists back in the late 60s and early 70s. I started actually, you know, consciously collecting comics in March of 1967. If you were to go to samcci.comics.org, you would be able to click on the month link and actually see the comics that were coming out each month. You know, the comics that I ran down to the local Quickie Mart or, you know, the local drugstore and hoped to find. You'll also notice that a lot of them are, at least the covers, are by Jack Kirby. At 12 years old, I gotta tell you, those Kirby covers were just really, really enticing. Sometimes you got home and found out that Jack Kirby hadn't done the interior artwork, but nevertheless, you know, all those Kirby covers would definitely get you jazzed up for, for the comic book. But Kirby didn't always work for Marvel. Uh, he's best known for his Marvel work, but Kirby started out with uh, Fox Comics. He met Joe Simon there. And, uh, you know, Joe, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby teamed up to create quite a few comics, among them Captain America in 1940. They only did about t- 10 issues. I think they worked for maybe one year. And whatever happened, I don't know, but they moved over to D.C. Maybe they just got a better deal. And they started doing a lot of comics. I think it was in Adventure Comics. They did uh, Manhunter. They revamped Sandman. Sandman went from being the, you know, the guy with the overcoat and the fedora hat and the mask to just a costumed superhero with a very bright costume, as a matter of fact, and a sidekick. 
the other things that they did were the Newsboy Legion, which of course featured the hero, the Guardian, and they did the Boy Commandos, which is probably their most famous comic that they did. And uh, actually, when Simon and Kirby went off to war in 1943, you'll see if you if you check the issues after that, you'll see that they actually had the artists kind of clone that uh, Simon Kirby style. By that point, Kirby was doing the art, but Simon was doing the inking. I don't think Jack Kirby was ever all that sure of his, his inking because he very, very rarely inked his own work. So they came back to comics after the war, and they worked for a lot of companies, but the superheroes were you know, kind of dying off at that point. And they finally uh, settled in at Prize Comics. Some people credit them with uh, the first... Uh, romance comics, and and they did very good there. They had they they had worked out a really good deal with Crestwood Prize, and they did romance westerns. They did the true crime comics, uh, you know, from the late 40s into the early 50s. And then for some reason, in 1954, they decided to strike out on their own and form their own company called Mainline Comics. Unfortunately, their timing was incredibly bad because by 1954, the whole uh, comic book witch hunt was was underway the comics code you know parents weren't letting their kids buy comics sales were down you know and they failed miserably probably one of the most popular teams of comic book creators in their time they just you know they they died so they kind of broke up you know it was an amicable thing but they they broke up and uh, they each kind of went their own way kirby went to dc and indeed in a recent dc showcase book uh, green arrow uh, you'll see some of his work from that period in time. There was 11 of the Green Arrow stories there. And then he did some other stuff, but he went to Showcase Comics, and he did four issues of Showcase Comics featuring the Challengers of the Unknown. And then he did eight issues of their own comic. And he worked on those with a lot of talented people. He, you know, uh, Dave Wood wrote the scripts for him. And, but I think what happened, what, you know, what, what probably it looks like happened is Kirby kind of came up with all these wild ideas, and Dave Wood took those ideas, tamed them down, and wrote some really good stories. Uh, he had been doing some of the stories for the Green Arrow as well. And then he had a lot of people inking him. His wife inked him quite a bit, uh, Roz Kirby, and he was also inked by Bruno Premiani and Wally Wood. And those Wally Wood ones are beautiful. You, you have to see him to really to understand what I'm talking about. At the same time, Kirby had Dave Wood writing the Sky Masters comic strip for him, and Wally Wood was inking that as well. That was doing really well. Uh, it started out doing really well because, uh, you know, let's face it, the late 50s, the space program and all that were very popular. But it, it kind of died off after a while. By that point, he had a falling out with the editor. <laughs> Seems to be a you know a common theme with Kirby. But he moved over to Marvel. You know, you've seen the monster books he was doing, Tales of Suspense, Strange Tales, uh, Tales to Astonish, which eventually was molded into a superhero comic called The Fantastic Four. Jack Kirby helped create the Hulk, Thor. He brought back Captain America, created, helped create the Avengers, X-Men, Sergeant Fury, and then later Nick Fury, Silver Surfer, Black Panther. He was all over Marvel Comics in the 60s. 1970, he left Marvel. He went to D.C., he started up his own little line of comics called the Fourth World Books, or at least they're nicknamed the Fourth World Books. New Gods, Forever People, Mr. Miracle. He also did Jimmy Olsen, and on the side, just because he had nothing better to do, he did some stories for the comic book The Losers, a uh, DC war comic. In my opinion, he had great ideas, 
but he needed someone like Dave Wood or, or Stan Lee to take those stories and rein them in a little bit and make them make them good stories. And he didn't have that at DC. He was doing it pretty much himself. The books didn't they didn't sell that well, you know. So then he started a new a new thing. He did Commandy. He did Omac. He did the Demon. Again, they did all right. You know, Commandy definitely. Uh, I, I don't know how many issues there were, but there was you know quite a few issues. But eventually. There goes Jack. He's back to Marvel. He was doing Captain America, Black Panther, Machine Man, Devil Dinosaur, and the Eternals, all probably books that you've heard of. But, you know, by this time, Jack was getting older. He had, somewhere along the line in those last few years, he had had to change his artboard side. In the early days, he had worked on much larger boards, but at this point, they said, look, Jack, you got to work in the same size everybody else does. And his work space was reduced and therefore you know the quality of his his art just wasn't as good as it was early on in his career but if, but if i had to tell you what other books i enjoyed beside the marvel comics that he did in the 60s i would have to go with those challengers of the unknown stories that he did for dc in the late 50s they're just beautiful seek them out and there is a challengers archive which you can get and that has you know they're just beautiful stories they're they're pretty well written, you know, like I said, they're Kirby idea, but somebody taking those ideas and, and writing a good story. And if you have a chance, go back and check out the stuff Simon and Kirby did for DC in the 40s. The Manhunter, the Sandman, the Newsboy Legion, and especially the Boy Commandos. It's just really all great stuff. And there you go, non-Jack Kirby expert Bruce Rosenberger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next time can we get somebody <laughs> that you know knows... Jeez. What they're talking about? I mean, come on. He sends me this email. I say, oh, I don't know, Chris. I'm, I'm not much of a you know real Kirby expert. And he just gave us like seven minutes of the best Kirby career retrospective I've ever heard. That, so, that was pretty impressive. So, yeah. th- Bruce, thank you very, very much. He, uh, he could have made it all up, and we have no idea. <laughs> uh, we, we, wait, we didn't run this through the fact yeah, the department? Yeah, the checking department didn't. Oh. Um, yeah, I... I uh, Real quick uh, note, please check out Bruce's uh, podcast, Comics Cast, and the Comics Podcast Crossover. He does a fantastic job. If you like his uh, uh, little retrospective on Jack Kirby, he does just about the best podcast on small press. Yeah. And uh, you, you won't hear, uh, you know, some comic podcasts, sometimes you feel a little bit of overlap between everything. You'll hear stuff on his podcast that you won't hear anywhere else. Yeah. The I mean, overlap is that he has David Price on it. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. That David Price, yeah. Well, but, but David's on every... Po- what did you say, Tom? You were just at home messing around with yeah, GarageBand? Yeah, I was now. just recording with GarageBand and David Price's voice magically showed up on it. <laughs> it, it, comes, it comes yeah. standard on all... On, on all Macs, on all Macs. David, there's a David Price Hi, voice. I'm David thing. Price. <laughs> but no, Bruce's yeah, podcast is fantastic. So, going back to Jack Kirby, I, I think that Bruce just did a great job of showing us how someone can go from company to company to company, back to another company, then back to another company. Yeah, if you're as talented as Jack Kirby. Well, yeah, but <laughs> you, you still you, you look at all the companies that he worked for, but is there any question that, I mean, the Marvel Universe without Jack Kirby is probably non-existent? Yeah. Well, I mean, you just look look at the stuff that he created that is still around and being used and revisited you know, even in DC, you look Challengers of the Unknown, OMAC, the Demon. I mean, all these characters that are still around and writers are still going back. Devil to Dinosaur. Devil Dinosaur. <laughs> um, you know that, 
I mean, it's just a testament to how amazingly creative and artistic and, and, and great he was and, and why he is and always will be the king. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen to AroundComics.com. It's not just for 12-year-old boys. It's for 13-year-old boys, too. Let's move on and talk a little bit about... Uh, oh, actually, we have another forum post uh, from Citizen Dave. You know, Dave has to, make a, he has to make an appearance on here somewhere. Dave, Dave Walker. The, uh, everybody knows Dave. Uh, Dave said, One company can really allow a creator to flourish where they couldn't or wouldn't or weren't allowed to at another. I think of Brubaker, who, while at DC, wrote some amazing stuff, but was never really given a chance on any big titles. Which makes me wonder what he would have done with one of DC's icons. As soon as he comes over to Marvel, he's got Cap, then Daredevil, and now Uncanny X-Men. Well, he did, you know, Brubaker did actually write, he had a run on uh, Detective for a while, but, you know, he, and I think if, if anyone talks to Ed, you'll, he'll tell you that, you know, he, he was confined a bit, you know, with some of the stuff that he was doing, and, and, uh, Marvel, for whatever reason, were, were able to see how good of a writer he is and, and, and brought him over and gave him, you know... Well, I think it's kind of the same thing where Ian was talking about Gail Simone, where she may have not been able to, you know, get her her real wings to fly at, at Marvel, where I think Brubaker's time at DC, while everything he did was good, I don't think they ever said, Ed, you know, write. Just go and write the stories that you want to write, and you see that in Batman. Well, I think there's just such a, you know, there's <coughs> such a mixture of editors and artists and writers, and they have to get together and put this thing together, and sometimes you have magic, and it happens, and you see it, you know, and, and it's amazing. And sometimes one little thing, for whatever reason, just doesn't work out, and it, you know, it, it doesn't, while it may be good, it just doesn't have that spark. Well, so what Jeff Johns wrote, Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jeff Johns at Avengers was, you know, a blip on the screen. Jeff Johns. He wrote it for quite a while, though. I mean, yeah. he was he was on that title for, for, for a while. I don't know how many issues exactly, but he was on it for a while. Yeah. It just wasn't necessarily remarkable stuff. It wasn't his bag, baby. But you know what it was? He started writing it right after Chuck Austin left. So I think people were more happy that Chuck Austin was gone than Jeff Johns was actually on the time. Hey, Jeff, here's a big bag of poop. Why don't you see what you can do with this? Shine that turd. <laughs> Here you go. Here's a book that's been badly written. Now you can write it decently. Well, and that's part of it. That's yeah. you know, one of those elements. It's like when you come in. I mean, you know, Brubaker was given Daredevil after an amazing run by sure. Bendis. And he's given, you know, Michael Lark, who, you know, the fans couldn't be happier with those oh, two. That, that, was, that was a perfect pairing of writer and artist to follow up a perfect pairing of writer and artist. Bendis Malieve into Brubaker Lark. I mean, that's... Uh, you, you could not pick a better follow-up team. Well, I mean, book. it's rare that you ever have it planned out that well. I mean, it always seems like when people are leaving a title and they're going to be replaced that it's like you moving out of your apartment where you always just leave, like, hangers on the floor. And, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm getting out of here, you know, and just kind of like, all right, whatever. The next person can do whatever the hell they want with it. Because usually there's not that much planning, you know, when you hand off to somebody. Oh, they were like, working, like, a year in advance. Yeah, I mean, most of the time it's like, you know, good luck, here you go. Here's a, you know. Do yeah. something. You know, and, and for, like, you know, the, the untrained, or, you know, if you didn't know that that change had been made, sure, you'd notice the art's a little different, even though I think Michael Art 
and uh, Maliv really translate very well to each other. Michael Gatos also could have taken over that book, and it would have been perfect. But you know how how those stories arced from one to the other. You know, yeah, Bendis has a slightly different style, but you know, for for anyone that just picks up that book, it's perfect. And so, uh, let's move on to a couple of the bad company men. And, and I, I don't want to stomp on people here. You haters. Because they, 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 they do it, we don't, and that means that they're already better than us. Um, we talked about Rob Leefield a little earlier, and he takes a tremendous amount of flack as kind of being the poster boy for the early mid-90s crash. Um... Go in. Ian, <laughs> what, in you go. If, if you're going to pick a guy to be the, the face of the company, why not Rob Leefield in the early 90s? Go. Well, okay. Here's the reason why. Because the man drew necks like nobody had ever drew, drew on necks before. And that doesn't mean it's a good thing. Now, the art was not exactly great. We all know that. But the writing wasn't good either, and that was the problem. See, you could have bad art and a great story and still manage to have a decent book, but Rob's problem was that for a while there, he had terrible writing and terrible art, and when you put those two together, there's no way to save it whatsoever. Yeah, but, me- but, but coming from that time period, everybody loved the art. You know, everyone's like, "Oh man, look at look at look at the covered X Force man!" Or you know, well, every which one? one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was a good cover guy, but it was the interiors that were mostly his problem. Uh, sequentially, I don't think he was strong at all. But yeah. you know that, and that's what turned you know those you know comics into one pinup page after another. But I think that you hit it is that the onus at that time had shifted from writing. And was all on the art. It was, you know, what book has the better pinup pages in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And, and also, I'm not taking away the fact that he created some decent characters because, well, Cable and Deadpool are two of my favorite characters, but they're my favorite characters when written by somebody other than Rob Liefeld. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm not taking away the fact that he did create some interesting characters in his lifetime, and he might have wrote a good book here and there, but for me, he is the poster boy of what went wrong in the 90s and the wrong company man to have. Well, there was that whole Levi's jeans commercial, too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but, I mean, can you really blame someone for not having the talent or ability to maybe pull that off? I mean, shouldn't we be blaming the people at Marvel that put him in charge, not Rob. I mean, if someone came to me today and said, hey, you know what, we're going to give you five books to write and draw, and I can't draw, I can't... Pay you a truckload of money. Yeah, I'm doing it, and I'm going to do my best. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, you know, I think Rob tried as hard as he could to do the best work that he could, and it's real easy, you know, this many years later to pick it apart and blame him for what went wrong and everything, you know, coming down on his head. But, hey, you know, the guy was just an artist and a writer that, for whatever reason, made a connection. And say what you will, I don't care who you are, There, you know, everybody wanted those books. They wouldn't have sold in the millions if I, they, I don't there think weren't that people he, buying I don't them. think that he walked into the publisher's office and said, hey, guys, you know, I'm working on this book. I think that we should do five variant holofoil gold-leafed <laughs> yeah, covers only and, three. and polybag them. Hey, 
I still have my X Force number one. Everyone. It's original bag with uh-huh. uh, the card with the entire X Force <gasps> on it. So you got the entire card. one? Uh, yeah. For some reason, this whole conversation reminds me of one of the funniest <laughs> panels I've ever. Uh, I don't know who drew it, but <laughs> it was. I was looking through um, a box of comics last time I went home, and I had an issue of Extreme Justice, oh, yeah. which in and of itself is just freaking hilarious. But there's Can a I scene buy that in, from you? yeah, <laughs> for two cents. There's a scene in it where Captain Adam uh, with this giant mullet <laughs> smashes a table <laughs> for no reason other than like someone hadn't punched something like in two. Like it was a huge full page thing with like all his muscles rippling, rippling, and him just like. Pounding this table, like yelling at Blue Beetle, and I reread it, and I was like, "What the hell was? Did I enjoy this?" Because I read that, I'm like, "Why the hell is Captain Adam punching that table?" Well, I, I think, like, uh, I, I think we were all caught up in the, you know, collectability mentality, yeah. and we weren't even, we didn't even care anymore about reading oh. comics for a while, and it was just like, I gotta get this issue because it's gonna, you know. Buy me a Mercedes someday, or you know, that, and it was just like this sort of shark attack, you know, blood in the water, uh, uh, feeding frenzy that we all glommed onto for a short period of time, and now we all look back at it and, and realize how silly and stupid we were, and we blame Rob Leefield for it. You know, yes. it's just as much as I agree with a lot of things, and, and obviously his ego got the better of him, and he tried. He, he he fell for his own hype and and you know became more of a problem than a solution in the comics world. I still think the guy just gets so much bad press. And looking at his art now and like looking at you know obviously he was extremely influenced by manga mm-hmm, and, sure. and anime. And you see that you know I think he should maybe go and do that stuff now because if you look at today's manga and anime. Yeah. It's not that much different to what Rob was doing in the 90s. I mean, I can't draw feet in my Just don't unsubscribe from the podcast, Rob. No matter what we say about you, continue to download it weekly. Hey, I, got, I got no bone to pick with Rob Weefield. I, he, he, he was caught in the perfect storm. He was the, the wrong guy, wrong time, wrong industry climate. I'm going to shovel. Rob fell bottom of comics. You know, they didn't seem too bad at the time, but when you look back on them now, you you, you laugh. And well, and that's unfortunately for him, yeah, it is it is, yeah. you know, he's the the butt of every joke. But, but he's still getting work. Well, yeah, he's still getting work and and he still has a lot of fans and the other thing is there's other guys of that era that were, you know, as much to blame for oh, yeah. a lot you of You just problems. can't remember their name. Like I can't remember Tom who Jordan, No, I Eric can't. Larson. I can't remember who drew Extreme Justice. But I mean, yeah, from the other point of view, besides from Rob Liefeld, I remember when I was reading DC in the 90s and Dan Jurgens wrote Zero Hour, mm-hmm. and he killed the JSA pretty much, and just like, talk about the exam- an example of someone being handed the reins of something and not maybe realizing what he was going to do was going to, you know, I thought, I think Roy Thomas, like, <laughs> bitch yeah. slapped him yeah like <laughs> jacked him in the face because it's like here's these characters that have been around for like you know I'm decades and here are the reins to the ship and then the first thing you do is you know but once again is that Dan Jurgens' fault or the people no. that gave him that power no 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 I mean like there's an edit it's not like Dan Jurgens took his stuff directly to the printer. I mean, yeah, it is. I just don't remember the editor's right. name. Because well, at the time... Anyone that would kill the JSA or Panthra, Panther. doesn't deserve <laughs> to write comics. <laughs> doesn't. 
You're listening to Around Comics. You can even listen naked, and no one would ever know. But seriously, I wouldn't go around telling people about that because it's pretty freaking weird. A couple, a uh, couple last guys uh, here. I, I, you mentioned Eric Larson in a minute, and uh, and we're gonna talk about him, and then and then wrap up the topic. But we've talked about Marvel and DC. Is Eric Larson not a big time company man? I mean, he is. He's the face of Image now, isn't he? Yeah. Well, he is Image. I mean, the, you know, he he's publisher the publisher of Image Comics. Um, I think to some degree, I don't know because Image is a different setup. You know, Image Comics, if you want to be published under the Image title, you're basically paying to have it published. So it's not like he's coming up with these ideas and putting them out there or lending all that much. I mean, depending on the book. I'm I, sure I think he really saved that company, though. Well, absolutely. I, I think it's just a little bit more subtle on his end than it is necessarily with some of these other guys we've talked about. He he sa- he did save that company. I mean, if, you know, he it was falling apart. You know, all around them, and and he was, you know, sort of strong enough to hold in there and and, and weather the storm. And well, I think he was, he was very good at picking the right creators to bring in to do their books. You know, Image is a is a totally different creature than than any, you know, Marvel or DC or you know any of the others. And I think that he's done a very good job of setting that company's line together. Um, I tell you what, let's uh, let's move on to some final thoughts. We'll we'll start with our guest of honor today, um, Ian. Can you give me your final thoughts on the Company Men? I think that it's something that you can't really avoid in comic books, and I think that it can have its positives, as we've mentioned, and it can have its negatives as well. You've just got to take the good with the bad, because for as many good company men you're going to find, there's going to be one stinker in the bunch. So sit back, relax, if you don't like what you see, just don't pick up the comics of that guy, and eventually he won't be a company man anymore. All right, Tom, your final thoughts? Um, I agree completely with what Ian said. And, 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 uh, that I think we're really lucky right now as far as comic reading goes for the big two that we have people right now who obviously care a lot about the stuff they're writing as opposed to the stuff we were just complaining about and, uh, that we may not be so lucky in the future. Things might, you know, turn around again. We might not have a group of people that obviously for both Marvel and DC care so much about the characters they're writing. So, you know, right now we're lucky, but, you know, who knows what's coming down the turnpike is, uh, is you know, use some scare tactics and frighten everyone. Sweeps. <laughs> Gotta like the news, all the scary tales. So, your final thoughts? Well, uh, I think that both companies have learned from some past mistakes, maybe, and, and I, I do think they're doing... A, a very good job of picking their people and doling out the power, if you will, um, and making sure that there's not too much in any one single hand so that they don't run into a problem uh, like they have in the past. And, and, and I think Tom's right that, you know, right now there is an extremely talented, um, you know, appreciative and... Uh, intelligent group of people running both companies and i think that they're putting out some extremely good work yeah you're going to always have some stinkers and not everything's going to work out great and not everything's going to be perfect but overall the quality of books that are coming out of marvel and dc for me personally as a fan 
it's it's some of the best stuff that I've ever you know had the pleasure of, of witnessing and, and 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 reading. So I think they're doing a better job of it. I think they realize that you know they can make mis- a mistake of giving the reins to someone before they've proven themselves, and and I think they're doing a better job of making people um, prove themselves before you know they give them too much power. Sure, uh, I'll agree on all those points with you guys. We're a very agreeable panel today. Uh, as far as the company men go, you know, we look at, I think this is really the first time that all of the people that work for these companies grew up reading a lot of the comics that we did. And, you know, you look back at the Kirby's and Stan Lee and, and, and all of the old company men, and they hold a reverence for what has come before them. And you look at, you know, kind of the vanguards of what these companies are doing in, you know, Brian Bendis and, and Jeff Johns, and that history is very important to them. And I think that it's always been their dream to work for that company, doing those characters. And I think it's, you know, have to be very careful from the company perspective to make sure that if you're going to bring in an artist or a writer, you know, especially a writer, to be an exclusive, that you need to make sure that they're either A, going to hold the history of the company to that same reverence and be able to pull on the history, or be able to take it in such a very good creative direction that it doesn't have to pull from that history. So it's, it's a very fine line. But, you know, each company should have its bullpen of, of creators and those company faces. Um, Sal, you had one last point. I, I did I did want to say that I do have one exclusion from, from my complete acceptance of what these companies are doing. Um, I don't know who it was that decided to give Frank Miller the opportunity to write Batman versus the Al-Qaeda. No. <laughs> but that's a mistake. I don't know. I know it's Frank Miller, and you want to keep him happy and everything, but there's something wrong with that. Somebody just said, oh, okay, Frank, go ahead. So yeah. That's my only exception. They all got drunk one night. Yeah, <laughs> and we're talking, uh, Sal is one of the biggest Frank Miller fans I know. Uh, well, guys, this has been a fantastic topic today. Um, I'm sure there is going to be a lot more chatter on the forum about this. If you would like to continue the conversation, please do so with us. Go to aroundcomics.com and click on the forum link. Lots of good conversation going on there. Um, let's move on over to the news desk. It is time for Wire to Wire Comic News. These are your top headlines for the week of April 24th, 2006. Howard Chaikin returns to Marvel. It was rumored by Brian Michael Bendis on his message board months ago that Howard Chaikin was returning to Marvel. This June, after years-long absence, Howard Chaikin returns to illustrate New Avengers number 21. This is the first of five Civil War tie-ins that focus on a single member of the team and will give Chaikin the chance to tackle one of his favorite Marvel characters, Captain America. Comic removed from California Library. On April 12th, Victorville, California, 1st District Supervisor Bill Postmus ordered county libraries to remove a Japanese comic that contained pornographic cartoons. 
the book, Manga, 60 Years of Japanese Comics, became the subject of controversy after Victorville resident Cynthia Jones's 16-year-old son told her that the book contained illustrations of sexual acts and sex with animals. The book was found to also be available in branches located in Hesperia, Apple Valley, and Barstow. Along with the order for removal of the book, Posmus also called for officials with the county library to draft a plan to protect children from similar books. According to The Hollywood Reporter, director Peter Siegel will helm Shazam for New Line Cinema. The project will feature DC Comics superhero Captain Marvel. Siegel's credits include The Longest Yard, Fifty First Dates, Anger Management, and Tommy Boy. He is also attached to direct Warner's big screen remake of Get Smart. Athena Voltaire goes ape. Like the cliff-hanging pulp heroes who inspired her, Athena Voltaire has cheated death. The critically acclaimed Aviatrix returns in August as Ape Entertainment relaunches the Eisner-nominated series. Athena Voltaire debuted online in 2002 as part of the Modern Tales line of webcomics, eventually earning a 2005 Eisner Award nomination for Best Digital Comic and being featured in the book The Year's Best Graphic Novels, Comics and Manga 2005. The first print adventure, Flight of the Falcon, launched its Speakeasy Comics in February 2006, comfortably landing in the top 300 and selling out immediately. Sales and backorder numbers combined to make it Speakeasy's best-selling title. Unfortunately, the company closed its doors within a month of the book's release. After Speakeasy folded, says artist co-creator Steve Bryant, we took some time to listen to various offers and see which company would be the best fit for Athena. Ape Entertainment really believed in what we were doing, and their enthusiasm is downright contagious. For more information on this and other Ape Entertainment titles, visit them online at www.apecomics.com. After a long hiatus, Savage Dragon has returned to the shelves with a vengeance, selling out its two most recent issues as the series approaches the landmark number 125. Only one other Image Comics title has made it to that point, Todd McFarlane's Spawn, and to celebrate, Savage Dragon number 125 will feature an ad-free 64 pages of material. Having taken almost a full year off to focus on his position as publisher of Image Comics, Savage Dragon creator Eric Larson hit the ground running this year with a renewed vigor for his longtime creation. The Sandman Papers are now available. Neil Gaiman's Sandman is a phenomenon, a mass circulation comic book that has caught and held the attention of serious readers for years. Besides its mass appeal, the Sandman has long interested students and teachers in myriad disciplines, and they have begun sharing their reactions by writing analytical essays. The Sandman Papers gathers some of the best of this criticism, mostly by young scholars and all written in readable, jargon-free language. The book contains 12 wide-ranging essays of criticism, exploration, and appreciation. The Sandman Papers retails for $18.95 and is available now. John Cox has been hired to write Sergeant Rock, an adaptation of DC Comics' World War II adventure series being produced by Joel Silver for Warner Brothers Pictures. Sergeant Frank Rock was the leader of his infantry unit, Easy Company. He first appeared in 1959 in Our Army at War. In 1977, with the character's steadily rising popularity, the comic was renamed Sergeant Rock and ran until 1988. Free Magazine Day. 
In conjunction with Comic Industries' upcoming free comic book day, Tomorrow's Publishing, publisher of Comic Industries' top historical and how-to magazines, is offering an opportunity for readers to try a Tomorrow's magazine free of charge. On Saturday, May 6th, anyone who visits the Tomorrow's website can request any in-stock issue of Back Issue, Alter Ego, Draw, or Right Now, and it will be mailed to them at no cost the following week. A special banner atop the home page will link to the free magazine page where selections can be made. For more information, go to tomorrows.com or aroundcomics.com. These have been your top headlines for the week of April 24th, 2006. For the full version of these and other stories, please go to aroundcomics.com, your source for the best in comics news, reviews, and opinions. Alright, there's your news headlines for the week. Uh, right off the top here, Howard Chaykin returns to Marvel. And, yes! And we have a very excited panelist today. Sal is uh, American Flag fan number one. So what do you think about Chaykin uh, doing a guest spot in New Avengers? Oh, I think it's fantastic. The only downside of it is that it's only a guest spot. I wish they'd sign him, you know, sign him to an exclusive, man. Let him, uh, as much as I, I love the, uh, you know, Steve Epting and, and, the other artist that is working on Cap, uh, a Brubaker Chankin Captain America book would you know would be a, a dream for me. But I'm a I'm an I'm an old Howard Chankin fan. I love his stuff. He was one of the first um, one of the first artists that you know whose books I saw that really opened my eyes to the other type of books that are out there uh, as opposed to just Marvel or DC when I was a young lad. So um, I, I always have a special place in my heart for for Howard Chankin. I'm I'm uh, looking forward to reading up on some old Chaykin. Uh You've been giving me some trades. I am woefully behind in my Howard Chaykin reading, and I believe that may be the first creator spotlight that we're planning for an upcoming episode. Yeah, I think I think that's what we're going to do. Is is Howard? I got to do a little more research and, mm-hmm. and get you some stuff to read. Uh, it, it, you know, he's he's one of those guys that. You either know him and love him, or you don't know him at all. And, and you don't never, love him yet. And you don't love him yet, exactly. And, and uh, uh, there are no strangers. You know, he's been around a long time. He's he's got a very <coughs> impressive body of work. Um, and I just think that you know, for whatever reason, he's never been able to sort of make that huge impact on on the masses. And uh, you know, his stuff. And he's doing Hawk Girl right now. Um, and, and I like that, but you know, I don't know if his style really lends itself to that title. As much as something more along the lines of of, uh, of Ultimates. Cap or Ultimate Ultimates uh, Ultimates yeah. or a Max title, you know, with Howard Chaykin, but a Punisher, Punisher, I mean, yeah. Punisher would be. But um, honestly, the the new book that I just saw that came out that I think we, he would be perfect on is uh, Checkmate. Yeah, I think he would work great with Rocka and Checkmate. But those are all pipe dreams. Well, the next uh, next story we have uh, may uh, appeal to Ian, and that is the ma- sixty years of manga being pulled out of California libraries due to some sexually explicit uh, material. Uh, Ian, had you heard about this story? You know, I hadn't heard about this story, but now that I'm hearing about it, I'm really not too surprised, considering the fact that there there is a lot of explicit manga out there. And you got to know what to get and what to avoid. Now, the fact that they pulled it out of the library upsets me to the point where, you know, 
it, it would be one thing to, you know, put it in both section or something along those lines where the kids can't really get to it that much. Because I know that most libraries do usually have, you know, a child section and then they have the adult section. To completely remove it from the library, I think that's a bit extreme here. But uh, then again, as a fan of manga, I might be having a slanted opinion here. Well, there, you know, there's there's some details about the story that that are you know are even more disturbing. Is one, the book had been checked out, uh, I think, 150 times before there was one complaint, and this is one one in one single complaint about this book. The book actually was in the adult section of the graphic novel okay. department of the library. Um, it, it, it's it's a rea it, it was one reference, and I believe like one panel um, of artwork that, that that's in this you know tome of a book. It's a huge book. Um, was it was it worse than Zombie King? Uh, I just I love never, referencing that. Book. I've never seen <laughs> anything worse than that. But you know they they pull it out of the library. You know there's there's two very clear patterns of thought that have formed over this story, and one is that a library is to benefit the public of that community. And either they allow this thing, these things because that is what the community has, has deemed they want, um, or they take it out and you're talking about censorship. Any library has the duty to carry what the community asks for, whether it's you know Playboy magazine or pornographic whatever, it is their responsibility to carry what the community has asked for. This book was checked out 150 times or 125 times before anyone complained about it, and it seems like a pretty clear case where the community wanted yeah. that book in there, but this one mother who I can't necessarily blame her for what she's doing. I mean, I can understand it from a parent's side of view, but at the same time, to pull those books completely out of the library seems like a reaction you know, an overreaction to something that didn't need that type of yeah. response. Well, I, I bet you could still pull uh, out of that library like Vietnam history, and you want to talk about some um, pretty uh, intense imagery yeah. in that. Um, well, I mean, it's it's a case of if you allow stuff like this to go on, your library will only be as good as the most reactionary ignorant the hard, person. The hard line is, yeah, like yeah. you'll have a, a library stocked with you know, old copies of for, for, Saturday for, Evening yeah. Post and the Bible, and that's all you'll have. Well, you know, for, first it's sixty years of manga, and then it's To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I know, I know that as as a person who you know has gone to libraries in the past to pick up uh, both comic books and manga, they usually the ones around my neighborhood usually have a decent selection of this, and a lot of people I know actually first discovered manga due to their library covering it. Now, if they're going to opt out just because of one panel, well, they're taking away an entire genre from the people, and I really don't think that's proper. No, I, I absolutely agree. The other part of this is that, you know, the, the, the one thing I understand is that, and it's a problem in comics in general, is that there is no guidelines or no notification generally of this kind of material being in a book. You have a you know six hundred page book and there is explicit material in it. You don't tell anyone that. You don't you know you can't expect a library to be able to know every single page of every <coughs> single book that is in their library. So I know that the the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund is working now in conjunction with um, I, I don't know the name of the the group. It's a library association to try and better educate libraries about this kind of thing. And I think that's a good thing because you know. You can't blame the library for it, but at the same time, 
there should have been some, you know, awareness that that material was in that book. So it, it's it's a bad situation, but hopefully it, it can cause things to happen that in the long run will be beneficial. I think a lot of it is um, you have to accept on a certain level, and I think this country is becoming less accepting of that, is that if you want a country of people that are educated and curious, one of the you know pitfalls of that is you're going to find stuff that you don't like if you're curious or you're like want to be intellectually challenged. And I think, may I, I'm not necessarily this case in and of itself, but definitely a tone in this whole country regarding art and literature and everything is that you confuse, you know, challenging with mature with graphic. And pretty soon what happens is it all gets mixed up into one and people lose track of what, you know, a library is a place of, ed, you know, ed, well, you know, education. And part of education is being challenged. And I mean, I'm just saying this as a very general description of how this makes me feel when I hear people have these types of issues with libraries. Rick yeah. Gordon would have the, the best comment, and that would be, you raise your children, don't expect the library to. And yeah. I think that's what it comes But to. if I bring them to the library and just leave, I save so much more money. <laughs> than <laughs> <laughs> Babies are hungry all the time. Oh, Thomas, always... Tom is the best tension breaker we have on the show. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on to a little bit lighter fare. We have uh, Shazam is coming Shazam. to the <laughs> Shazam as uh, directed. Is it the same guy that directed Tommy Boy? Is, did I hear that right? Really? That's the guy? Yeah. Oh, I love First States, Anger Management, and Tommy Boy. Oh, my oh, God. That's I think you're right, so I think The Rock is going to play Shazam. It's The Rock as Shazam, and <laughs> it's going to be God. David Spade as his sidekick. As Billy Braxton. As Billy, yeah, maybe that's what it is. The, yeah, yeah, David Spade turns into The Rock. Okay, yeah, next... Oh, um, my God. David Spade will be Hillbilly. Yeah, <laughs> Joe Dirt, he can play, he can play Hillbilly. Oh. Hillbilly Batson. In there somehow. Yeah. It, just, it just won't be a bad movie without Paulie Shore. Oh, uh, this, okay. Well, we will update uh, you as we I, hear more stop about... Stop crapping on Captain Shazam. Marvel. <laughs> Captain Marvel is one of my all-time favorite characters, and this scares me a lot. Who's playing Taki Tani? <laughs> Tawny Katane. Oh, 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 edit that out. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Let's move. Athena Voltaire has uh, uh, had uh, CPR done to her, and she is back alive. And uh, uh, for one of our friends of the show, Steve Bryant, we couldn't be happier. Uh, you heard it in the story. Athena Voltaire has had a long, long journey to get where she is now. Started out as an Eisner-nominated webcomic, moved to Speakeasy, was a top 300 comic with Speakeasy's easily their best-selling comic, and then they closed their doors. They fielded offers and uh, eventually landed at Ape, and we will see new printings of Athena Voltaire coming in the near future. So, you guys, are, are we happy about the return of Athena? Sure, why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy for those guys. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, I think uh, you can't... I can't imagine being them and going through it, you know, to get a book to, to press and get it published 
and have it accepted, you know, widely, critically acclaimed, and then the bottom falls out yeah. and your publisher goes out of business. I mean, you know, to just to just not throw your hands up in the air and just say, screw it, we're done, that's it, you know, that you got to give them credit for... You know, marching on with that and 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 finding somebody else. So good, good for them. Yeah, I'm I am happy for them also. If you have not read Athena Voltaire, it is a really fun book. Um, think of Indiana Jones, but uh, a woman basically. She's an aviatrix. Yeah, yeah baby. Uh, Isn't that Tomb Raider? Yeah, uh, but better. Oh, but oh, better. okay. Uh, Better than Angelina Jolie? I don't think so, my friend. <laughs> there aren't 900 number one issues. <laughs> so, so, so we've mentioned Tawny Katane and Angelina Jolie within about 45 seconds. The show is definitely going downhill. I was going to mention Cheryl Teague's during hey. my... <laughs> We go back in time. The time machine. We've actually been uh, talking with uh, with Go Steve, and uh, <laughs> and hopefully we are going to uh, to have uh, Steve on the show here very soon. Um, let's move forward. Uh, we talked about Eric Steve Larson. who Steve Steve Bryant. Oh, from Athena. Okay, from Athena Voltaire. I didn't know what you meant when you just said Steve. I wasn't Steve sure. Bryant. Hey Steve. You know Steve. Steve. You know, Steve. Steve next door. <laughs> Uh, Savage Dragon. We had talked a little bit about Eric Larson. He had taken the hiatus to focus on his publishing duties at Image, and now Savage Dragon is approaching the uh, landmark 125th episode. Uh, me personally, I I don't read Savage Dragon. I haven't since about issue five. Uh, I'm waiting for it to get to 150, and then I'm going to get all the trades. There. You- <laughs> All at once. No, I don't read Savage Dragon. But kudos to him. <laughs> kudos, kudos to Eric Larson. So glad he's yeah, I mean, you know, he, he does... He picked up an issue. <clears throat> Say that again, Ian? I, I said I've, I've, I've actually never really picked up an issue of Savage Dragon. So. It, it was pretty cool in the early, uh, the, the early... I actually got it through about, like, issue 25. And, yeah, it was it was cool. It's a, you know, it's a big dragon guy who's a cop. It was... Uh, for the time, it was it was a cool it was a cool yeah. I, I was I was a fan of Savage Dragon for quite a while. Uh, you know, I eventually kind of grew out of that title. Um, I you know occasionally I will go back and pick up an issue here and there. It's not something I followed, but you know any uh, you know, that many issues of anything is is an accomplishment. And at the same time, the guys you know publishing some pretty darn good books. Oh, yeah. I think Image is you know has really come on as one of my favorite publishers, uh, you know, a lot of their books I, I really enjoy, so. I'd, I'd like to see him move on from Savage Dragon, wrap it up, and, and do something else for Image, but if it takes away from what Image is doing as a company, then no, because Image is my favorite publisher right now. More Super Patriot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Sandman Papers. Uh, go check out the, the the story. The recorded story doesn't really talk to it uh, to the extent that I would have liked to, but go check out the story on AroundComics.com. It's actually a pretty fascinating book. It is a collection of essays and articles written by college students and professors that really kind of deconstruct the Sandman series. So as as Tom is groaning God, over here, yeah. <laughs> some nice fr- freshman dorm poetry probably adorning that. No, no offense to anyone who contributed, but oh my God, that has to be. Uh, find your local emo band and hand in your lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> all, all you Sandman fans can write to me personally. Uh, I just, yeah, oh, yeah, care of Tom Katers. Write your letters and blood to me. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, are you a Sandman fan? Did, did you read? Did, 
Okay. I'm actually getting I'm actually getting into it mm-hmm. uh, because basically my reader my my listeners basically got to the point where they were incredibly shocked that I had never read Sandman. So I picked up the first two trades and I'm about halfway through the first trade and. I, I'm, I'm liking it so far, so yeah. like, I'll continue to like it. I, I don't I don't mind Sandman. It's just the thought of uh, someone handing the book to a bunch of college students and saying, "Here, what do you think about this?" I can just imagine the flowery prose and like. As a as a college student, I can certainly imagine. Oh, uh, and just a whole collection of it. <laughs> to me, to me, you know, Sandman is sort of like the Cubs. As a White Sox fan, I don't hate the Cubs. I just can't stand their fans. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. That's I, a fan. That's how I am about the Mets. And, and you broadcast Mets A, a games. How is yes. that? Well, has, has your dad disowned you? No, no, no. You, you, go, you go home and you bathe in, like, a Yankee bath every night <laughs> yeah. you know, to wash the Met off of you? As I'm recording this. He rubs Reggie bars all over him. So. <laughs> Oh, Reds. Uh, I'm the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> uh, no, actually, half my family are Mets fans, the other half are Yankee fans, so half of me, half my family are like, oh, wow, you're in the Mets family, the other half are, oh, wow, you're in the Mets family. Oh, that makes fun Sunday dinners, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It, me, my, my, my personal life, I am a diehard St. Louis Cardinal fan. I live in Chicago. My, my whole family, my mom, my dad, my brother are diehard Cub fans. And my girlfriend is a dyed in the wool socks fan. So you want to see people like seriously like throwing dinner rolls at each other? Come come to the Neesman family uh, dinner on Sunday. It is it is sad. Uh, um, okay, so Sandman Papers, uh, eighteen ninety five. If you're if you're one of those gothy chicks that digs the Sandman, <laughs> oh jeez, I, I really. I can't imagine that we have a large, you know, group of our audience that, you know, that, that. A- a- Amy in, Amy in the UK is listening right now. Oh, she's, she's cursing. She us, is yeah. cursing oh, into her iPod she's... right now. Oh, well. No! <laughs> we love you, Amy. Uh, we, <laughs> let's move on to something even more disturbing, and that is Sergeant Rock is being developed as a movie. And actually, I think Sal is going to go see this. I'm, I love Sergeant Rock stuff. I don't. I mean, when it's good, if it's you know, if it's awful. I was saying earlier about this. You know, the perfect guy to to play one of the Easy Company guys would be Tom Sizemore. If you've ever seen him, he's been in a bunch of movies where he's like a World War II soldier, like a, just a grunt, and he's perfect. I don't know. I don't know what it is about his you know face or you know. Heidi Thornton's been said. Oh God. <laughs> Well, there's uh, that. There's the explosion. Well, I was going to say, if, if, he, if he wasn't, if he wasn't, if he wasn't such a loony, he'd be, he, he's just, he's just the perfect, like, World War II grunt, but, uh, I don't know, I don't know, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it, because there's been so many World War II films, um, done already, I mean, if they try and harken back to maybe like a, uh, yeah, John Wayne-esque sort of World War II film or something like that. It could be cool, but uh, it all depends on what they're going to do with the script. You, Tom? Uh, I will go see it. And that's uh, that's about it, <laughs> that I guess. Yeah. 
I'll go. I'll go if someone wants to go with Although me. if if, Sar- <laughs> if Sergeant Rock is played by The, the Rock, Rock, yeah, that could only make it that. better. I was I was just gonna say the only way I would not go see this movie is if The Rock plays Sergeant Rock. <laughs> Sergeant Rock. Look what the Sergeant Rock is cooking. No, it's gonna be oh. it'll be Viggo Mortensen because he plays every <laughs> comic book. Super or comic book guy now. That's yeah, not a superhero. For some reason, for some reason, when I imagine Sergeant Rock in my head, I think Jack Nicholson. Don't ask me why. Really, you are a disturbed person. Really, Jack Nicholson. Really, that's I would never. I could. See I guess it. maybe a young Jack. Yeah, no, no, no. Think, uh, think, a uh, few good men. Yeah. Yeah, but he's too old. He's old. I think Harrison Ford. Oh, no, oh, you need somebody. Uh, uh, I don't know. Tom Sizemore. No, I, uh, Jesse Ventura. Ed Asner. <laughs> Ed Asner? Um, no. Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley. <laughs> you need like some cigar chewing. Wilford Brimley. Uh, I, they don't ooh, make ooh, actors. Sheen. Sheen. The older, no, the older one. Martin. Martin Sheen. Who's, okay, who who played J. Jonah Jameson? In, in the oh, ooh, the guy ooh, from ooh. Oz, yeah. yeah, yeah. He might be able to pull that off. Yeah, the character actor. Although he's no a, one can he's, remember his name. He's a bit more of a cartoony kind of. Dude, but that did, might work. I mean, oh, did you, uh, the the Tom Hanks movie, the remake of the um, the Lady Killers? Did, and did you see the Lady Killers, the remake yeah. of it? Oh, he he and Mountain Girl. Simmons, by the way. What, what was that? Ah, okay. If you watch the Lady Killers, he is so good in that. The best remake of a movie I've seen in in years. Um, I had another guy, but I can't think of his name. He's been in a ton of movies. Um, Eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. Move on. Free Magazine Day. Um, Go! Guy... (laughs) Um, next week, uh, Saturday, May 6th, is Free Comic Book Day. Uh, we actually have an announcement about that a little bit later in the show. But if you are near your computer on Free Comic Book Day, go to tomorrows.com, and it's spelled T-W-O-morrows.com, and you can get free magazines from Tomorrow's Publishers, which is... Uh, a, a free magazine, I believe. A, a free magazine. One, one, one of, they publish a bunch of... Oh, yeah. White Back Issue. White Back, back Issue, issue would be great. or Kirby Collector. Or, they uh, do Alter Ego, too. Alter Ego, yeah. Draw, Right Now. I think they, they do a lot of good magazines, you know, sort of on the, I don't want to say the fringe of the industry, but, you know, different viewpoints of... of it's know. good stuff, though. They're awesome. Yeah, it's, they're, they're, they're extremely good stuff, so go get a free yeah, one. So, so go check out tomorrow's, get that free issue, and then keep getting them, because uh, it is good stuff. Um, guys, that, that is our news for uh, for today, and that means it is time for Top of the Stack. Top. Top of the stack. Of the stack. The stack. The stack. <clears throat> That's right. It is top of the stack. It is our chance to let you, the listener, know what we have been reading for the last week. Uh, we'll start with our our guest O honor, um, Ian. What have you been reading? Well, what I've been reading is a book that, uh, well, actually, I had the creator on with my New York Comic Con wrap-up, and I finally got a chance to read the two books that I uh, actually purchased at New York Comic Con, and that is Strange Detective Tales, Dead Love. Now, this is by uh, Jesse Bausch with art by James Callahan, and it's pretty interesting. It's sort of take fables and 
make it with monsters. That's probably the best way to describe it. Uh, it's basically, it's a detective agency that's based in Hollywood. There's an entire group of monsters who moved to Hollywood in the 20s to try and become movie stars. And it's got Igor from uh, Frankenstein, and it's got uh, Renfield from Dracula, and they're the two main stars, and they're looking into the disappearance of one of the monsters in their community. And it, it involves the, uh, the Area 51 aliens and a whole bunch of other uh, famous monster faces that you've probably seen in a couple monster movies before. And the art captures the feel of the old-fashioned uh, horror comics incredibly well. So I give Strange Detective Tales Dead Love. I have issues one and two here. It's a three-issue miniseries, and I give it a high recommend recommendation. Anybody who hasn't picked it up definitely should if they're into the whole horror genre, or even if they're into the comedy genre. There's plenty of comedy to be found in the book. Did you say who published that? Hot God Press. I've got, that sounds great. I, that, that sounds, sounds really great. cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have never seen that or heard of it, but I, I'm going to be looking for that because that sounds right up my alley. Yeah, they just sold three more copies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to exactly. borrow one of yours, guys. Uh, oh, they sold two more, two more copies two more. and borrowed to a freeloader. <laughs> Free! <laughs> that sounds awesome, Ian. Uh, Tom, I know what you're reviewing, and I can't wait to hear this. Uh, what do you got? I have picked Caveman Robots as my. <laughs> Tom has been snack. talking about this book for a week and a half. I, so I can't hear. Freaking oh. love it! I have the Caveman Robot Gigantic Mega Annual 2004 in my hands right now, which you, you can still get on their website. But it is amazing. It is basically a, it's a collection of stories all based around a caveman robot and. There's no definitive. There's no definitive origin. Like every story, sort of one story is he's in, you know, a carnival where he's a sideshow freak, and that's how everyone meets him. And in another one, he is trapped in outer space, and he's like the life support system for a bunch of frozen kids. And in a different one, he's fighting his arch nemesis, Ape Lincoln, in his cabinet of crime, <laughs> which is like Gorilla Grodd, except dressed up like Abraham Lincoln. And like his monkey henchmen are all dressed up like in zoot suits, and they're running around town robbing things. And when, when uh, Ape Lincoln talks, he talks like Abraham Lincoln. So it's like... Uh, That's just in your head. For, quote, no. By virtue of our power and for the purpose of theft, I do order and declare that all funds held within this building henceforth shall be ours. As, you know, he robs a bank. And it's just... It, it, and it's a collection of stories. So you have different writers and different artists, and some of it is almost Kevin McGuire-ish, and some of it is, you know, really detailed and nice, and some of it's very amateurish. But it's... Um, it's just a really awesome collection of stories that, you know, really plays on sort of the fun part of comic books, definitely. I mean, it's not serious at all, <coughs> but it's really cool to see all these people have their different takes on what you can do with a caveman robot. And if you go to their <laughs> if you go to their website, which is www.cavemanrobot.com, you can get the Mega Annual, which is almost 100 pages, um, and the first issue of Caveman Robot for $6 with shipping. So it's a pretty good deal, and the ads are just freaking amazing in this. Like, 
You can get your giant 20-inch tall caveman robot doll or your super cute caveman robot, which is smaller. And it's a musical now, too, if you live... if It's in uh, Williamsburg, actually. <laughs> they have a musical out of Caveman Robot, so... Okay, I am going to see this musical. That's in my hometown right now. Yeah, I, it's... I don't know. I keep... <laughs> I don't want to get anyone's hopes up about this, but I'm looking at the cover, and on one side it's a robot with, uh, like, a animal skin around his shoulder holding a club attacking a monkey dressed like Abraham Lincoln and... <laughs> holding a revolver and it's just it's funny it's great i loved it i read it and i just loved it and i think it's fantastic and it's one of those things that i just found completely randomly while my girlfriend was shopping for shoes and it's it's just awesome so that's my so we've got it. hollywood monster detectives and caveman robot so we've got a lot to look up to <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I almost feel bad like throwing in a mainstream, you know, book. I'm reading a, Infinite Crisis. <laughs> I picked Wolverine this week. Um, no, uh, my my top of the stack is uh, the Villains United Infinite Crisis Special Number One. Chump. Uh, quiet. Uh, story by Gail Simone. <laughs> Pale, uh, pencils by Dale. Eaglesham, uh, inks by Art Thiebert, and letters by uh, Rob Light. Um, this uh, this issue picks up right after the uh, the end, or shortly thereafter, uh, of the end of the first Villains United uh, miniseries. Um, in that first series, Gail uh, Simone and Dale Eaglesham created a story that thumbs its nose at the basic idea of what makes a hero, and explores the shades of gray inside the DC Universe. Um, in that original series, Lex Luthor began recruiting a large group of supervillains called the Society, with plans of world domination. Unfortunately for Lex, six villains refused to join his group, and were later recruited by the mysterious benefactor Mockingbird, with her own plans, which included the destruction of the Society and Lex Luthor. Uh, this conflict of interest unfolds as an action-packed tale that examines the fine line between good and evil while straddling the fence that separates hero from villain. Yes, I am reading this. Um, if you haven't read the first, if you haven't read the first Villains United miniseries, I, I highly recommend it. I enjoyed it a, a, a whole bunch. Um, one of the great things about it, aside from the, the good story and the great art and the extremely cool usage of B-list supervillains. Um, is that the way it's weaved into the main Infinite Crisis storyline. Nothing that you read in that miniseries is essential to the main Infinite Crisis story, but all of it adds depth and backstory while making the original one better in the end. Um, in the very least, the same can be said about this first issue of the new Villains United series, or miniseries. Uh, taking place during Infinite Crisis and leading into 52 and one year later, uh, this Villains, Villains United not only... Uh, is a completely fantastic read on its own, but it also serves as a supplement to the main Infinite Crisis storyline, providing insight into the rest of the planet, albeit a decidedly criminal element, as the icons of the DCU battle for the fate of the universe. Uh, the story opens as the, as the society has orchestrated one of the biggest acts of terror the world has ever seen, a global prison break. Uh, but when all of Earth's mightiest heroes are missing in action, who will be there to stop the tide of evil that threatens to engulf the entire planet? Yes, I am reading that off of the DC website. <laughs> um, the Secret Six must decide which side of the fence they will fall on, or do they? I, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but suffice it to say that this book is so chock full of action, subplots, 
cameo appearances that by the time I was finished reading it, I thought I had read a double-sized issue. Uh, while firmly planted in the shadow of an Infinite Crisis, this story appears to have a more prominent role in the big picture that its pre- than its predecessor did, while not taking uh, away from that story or trying to make the mistake of doing too much. Gail Simone, with her funny, distinct, and personal storytelling abilities, along with Dale Inglesham's clean, realistic pencils, have raised the bar on the, their previous series and created a ragtag group of anti-heroes that DC, DC should consider continuing in a regular series of their own. While Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman are the movers and shakers of the world, there certainly must be enough room for a group of misfits with just enough moxie to make a difference. Villains United is a perfect example of how any character can be intriguing, exciting, and thought-provoking when put in the hands of a good creative team. And that's my top of the stack. Very nice. Are you going to pick up the Secret Sex miniseries when it comes out? Yeah, absolutely. I I enjoy both of those. um, uh, uh, Both the the, uh, Villains United and the... um, what was the other one? The uh, day, day of Day of Yeah, the, yeah. both of those I picked up as trades after they had come out. Um, I'm like a big uh, Blue Devil fan now. Oh yeah, Blue Devil's bad. So you'll be getting yeah. Shadow Pack too when it comes I'll, out. I'll, I'll be getting the Shadow. Yeah, they got me hooked on all those. I, I'm enjoying. I'm almost in. Yeah, Checkmate. I already got the first one of that. And <laughs> I, I'm almost enjoying those titles more so than Infinite Crisis or like the one year later stuff. Although. Some of the one year later stuff I've enjoyed is just something about these titles sort of being in the nooks and crannies, mm-hmm. you know, while all this huge galactic, you know, stuff is going on. It, it intrigues me. Gail Simone can't do much wrong in my eyes. I, I, I have read like maybe one bad Gail Simone comic in my life, and that was only because Rob Life put the art on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> she she has she has grown as a as a writer, that's for sure, and, and impressing the hell out of me. Well, it's nice to have a nice to have a woman in the industry that, uh, that hey, shows that she can. Don't uh, call it. her a woman, a female cartoonist. She just wants to be a cartoonist. Well, it's or writer. I'm going to step away from the microphone I'm now. cartoonist. <laughs> All right, well, we've got two very indie and one fairly mainstream. I'm going to uh, kind of split the difference here. My top of the stack is uh, an oldie but a goodie, uh, Dark Tower. My local comic shop is moving right now, and they had a 50% off sale on all of their trades, and so I kind of loaded up on some stuff that I've been wanting to read for a while, and I grabbed Sandman Mystery Theater Volume 1. It's called The Tarantula is the storyline. It is written by Matt Wagner. It has art by Guy Davis. It was published by DC under the Vertigo imprint, and it retailed for nine ninety five, which means I got it for $5, and I would have paid 20 for it. It was that good. Uh, we talked a little bit about Sandman earlier <clears throat> when we were talking about the Sandman papers, and I have a confession to make. I have never read the Sandman, any of them, not the Golden Age Sandman, Neil Gaiman Sandman, or Sandman Mystery Theater. Uh, I decided to correct this oversight, and I pick up the first volumes of the Sandman and Sandman Mystery Theater, and I talked to Chris Marshall over at Collected Comics Library, and that which is a fantastic podcast. Please check out Chris's podcast, um, Collected Comics Library. Um, he suggested that I definitely go out and buy the Sandman archives from DC, so they're fantastic. Uh, Matt Wagner and Guy Davis's Sandman Mystery Theater, it had me trapped like a fly in a spider's web by the first page of this volume. Sandman's the kind of hero that I love. He's got no super strength, no worlds to save, alien 
invasions to thwart, etc. The Sandman is just a man with a mask, armed with a gas gun, and his instincts. He's got ingenuity and an obsession to stop those who would use their power for money to do harm to others. And yes, I'm reading this too. Uh, Sandman Mystery Theater is pulp crime noir fiction at its best. Has gangsters, political corruption, big cars, and beautiful dames. It is a mystery, and it plays out like the serials of Days Gone Past. This is a book where the hero is as much a mystery as the murderer that he is trying to find. Who is Wesley Dodds? He is the Sandman, but why can't he sleep? Why does he wear a gas mask and fight the unjust? The only answers may lie in the words of the Sandman when he has asked his interest in all of this. His reply, to see the wicked brought low and to ensure the sleep of the just. I am the Sandman. If pulp comics, crime noir, and a series that is equal parts Batman mixed with the brilliant film Chinatown sound like your cup of tea, Sandman Mystery Theater may be your next top of the stack. That's my top of the stack. Yeah. Has anyone else read? I've read the first trade of that. I I just recently picked that up also. I really enjoyed it, and and it was, you know, it's a different kind of thing. You know, if you're looking for spandex and... And, and, you know, yeah, don't look here. Yeah, it's no. not that kind of book, but, uh, you know, if you're looking, like you said, noirish yeah. and. Uh, yeah, it's, I love it's, that character, just like all the different ways that the Sandman's been used, you know, Silver Age, Golden Age. The, the Gaiman, right? The, 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 the Gaiman character, Sandman, and this, and the Wesley Dodd Sandman are connected, yeah. uh, slightly. It's, yeah. uh,. Um, you, you have to you have to read them, and I actually I'm reading Sandman the Neil Gaiman's The Sandman and Sandman Mystery Theater at the same time. I'm, I'm doing them a volume uh, each at the same time, and it really is an interesting way to read those two those two titles. It's also graphically just an awesome costume. That oh, yeah, it's oh, just absolutely. like yeah, just so like you can use it just be like a fun thing, or you can also use it for you know. Like a noirish sort of it's like feel to it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's freaky. You know, yeah, I mean, it, it, but I, I know what you're saying. It's yeah. like you could look at it in, in different ways, whether it's it's a little comical yeah. to some degree, but it could certainly be utilized where it you know scare the hell. Oh, out you of you that. walk into a dark bathroom at, at like you know two in the morning, and there's a guy standing there in oh a God. suit and a <laughs> gas mask with, with I mean, two gas guns <laughs> ready to. Yeah, and you're in Germany, and <laughs> never mind. So, Ian, did you have you read that at all? Uh, you know, I haven't read any of, and outside of a couple JSA stories here and there, but I've always been interested in the characters, so I might want to look into this uh, mystery theater here. But the one thing, though, the title really makes me think of mystery science theater. So <laughs> it's not. It's not. I, I, I most certainly know that it's not, but that's right away what's going into my head. But well, I'm sure it's the complete opposite. Yeah, it very much plays on the old serials where it was like the weekly. You know, you know, go to the movies and yeah, and you you get the weekly episode. The shadow knows exactly, <laughs> and it it is so like it's like radio, old radio, brought to comics. It is so good. This episode of Around Comics is brought to you by Dark Tower Comic Books and Collectibles. Already Chicago's source for the best in comic selection, knowledge, and service, we're announcing that Dark Tower is getting even better. Dark Tower is moving. As of Monday, May 1st, you can visit their new location at 4835 Northwestern Avenue. What does this mean to you? A bigger store, bigger selection, more room for gaming, and more parking. 
Dark Tower still offers one of the best pull list memberships in Chicago, but don't forget about their trade paperback readers program and convenient pre-ordering. For more information, call Dark Tower at 773-506-0400 or visit them on the web at darktowercomics.net. I wanted to give Ian a couple minutes to tell us about the GeekSpeak podcast, some of the other projects that he has going, and maybe fill us in on what's going on with the uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones. Okay, well, the Brooklyn Cyclones are a couple of months of a couple of months away, but actually, we have been confirmed that we will be doing the Brooklyn Cyclones this year, and you can hear every game as they happen on BrooklynCollegeRadio.org. And that is the live web stream of all the games, and I should be doing about half of them somewhere along those lines. I'll be doing a couple games in the studio as well, so if you'd like to hear my silky smooth, geeky voice, that's where you'll be able to find it. Um, Geek Speak, we just released episode 33, and I have officially switched over to Podsafe Music. So I'd like to see everybody's feedback on that, if they can. If you want to send your emails over to speakgeekspeak at gmail.com, I'd be curious to see what everybody thinks about the new musical selections. And the big news is I've got a second podcast coming. It's going to be myself and Toby Cook. Heck, Comic Geek Speak Forms. And we are going to be starting up a podcast called Comic Timing which will be available at speakgeekspeak.com slash comic timing. Let me say that again, at speakgeekspeak.com slash comic timing. And this upcoming Sunday, we will hopefully be recording episode one, and David Price, the man who is everywhere, will be joining us for that episode. And we're going to be talking about the bridge gap and see whether the up people have been doing their job, and whether the upcomers for Civil War have been doing their job, and things along those lines. So, comic timing is in the works, Geek Speaks up and running, and the Cyclones are coming soon. Alright, awesome. We will set up links to all, I think we already have a link, a link to Geek Speak on, uh, on our website, but we will link up your new podcast, and big surprise that David Price is going to pop up on there. We're, we're, we're shocked. <laughs> I'm totally shocked too, because <laughs> I guess any work at all, you know. Well, Ian, I want to thank you very much for being on the show today. We have appreciated your presence, and hopefully we'll be able to have you back on the show real soon. Well, it's been a great pleasure, guys, and I'm sure I'm sure glad to return the favor to you, Chris, after you were on an episode a couple of the love episodes back, and I'd love to be on again sometime. All right, well, we'll have to set that up. Let's get to the rest of our announcements. Uh, Sal, uh, tell everyone what is going on at AroundComics.com. Uh, a couple of things. We, we have decided to uh, leave the forum up. We had uh, initially put the forum up uh, because uh, our forum at Comic Book Geek Speak had, uh, had closed down. There. They were having some server problems. So we decided to put our own uh, forum up and... Uh, it's been up for about a week, and we, we just go ahead, went ahead and decided to leave it up there. Um, we're also going to have the one at kind of Geek Speak as long as they'll let us have it there. But um, And we appreciate it. Thank oh, absolutely. Thank yeah, you to Brian and the guys there. We, certainly. And we'll still be checking in on that forum and posting threads and being a part of the Comic Geek Speak community. But, uh, but we do have our forum over at Around Comics, which has actually uh, been a lot of fun the last week. 
And and it's you know real easy to sign up. I'm sure you know most people are, are aware of how to do that and everything to sign up for a forum. But you can also um, one of the interesting things with our site is that any of the articles that you go to and read at the bottom of the article, there's a uh, a link that says click here to discuss this article on the forum, and it will if there is not already a forum thread started for that article, it will start a new one, and you could just go ahead and and say whatever you want about it if you want to come on and discuss any of the news stories with us. Uh, secondly, um, we decided to open up a MySpace page because everybody's, everybody's doing awesome. it. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not sure what we're going to do with it exactly yet. We'll probably have some pictures on there, and and uh, we'll you know post bulletins, and maybe Chris and Tom can do some blogging on it or something <laughs> cool like that. Uh, but it was the saddest day of my life. <laughs> I'm going to go in my room and read Sand. <laughs> Um, you can visit us there at uh, myspace.com slash aroundcomics or you can get to it from our website if you go uh, to our website under the community menu uh, there's a myspace link there that will you won't actually leave our site it'll just open up underneath the header there so you can stay on around comics and and, uh, and still visit our myspace so go there join myspace if you are already and uh, be our friend because we need friends electronic friend like well virtual not real friend but mm-hmm. close enough um make contest What's our make contest again? Make contest. Pick a topic. Oh, pick a topic. Yeah, that's right. I always forget what our contest is. <laughs> We're doing uh, pick a topic for the show, uh, May contest. We're going to run it for the first three weeks of May, so you have that time. You can either email it to us at uh, info at aroundcomics.com, or you can uh, go on the forum and post it in a thread that's at the top of the forum there. There's a thread all about You can post in there. Uh, you can send us an audio Post if you want, um, you know, or audio, audio email, record your idea, and uh, and we're gonna pick the best one and make that a show topic, and the winner will get a uh, any twenty four ninety five or less trade that is currently in stock because if we can't find it, we can't get it. To no you. miracle man. Yeah, no miracle man. Um, although I heard there's digital versions of oh, that. Oh, anyway, um, uh, what else with the site? There was there was something else. Um, that's cool. Oh, you're Easter! Doing, you're e- doing new stuff every every day. Well, I you know I, I'm trying to keep it you know interesting and fresh, and you know the news is there, and, and there's previews there, and we're trying to get reviews, um, getting some advanced oh, reviews. Uh, Marvel Image <clears throat> and Boom Studios. Uh, yeah, I recently contacted Marvel and DC and Image and Boom Studios to try and get them to send us some advanced reviews. I told them all about our enormous fan base. Which we know and you're out there. We've been seeing those 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 download counts go up every week. Uh, and we want Dozens to of strangers. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting to hear it. Um, but we wanted to try and get them to send us some advanced copies of stuff so that we can do a reviews about comics that are coming out, not ones that are already out. Um, as much as we like doing the top of the stack, we think you guys might enjoy uh, you know, hearing about books that we like that aren't out yet, so you can order them from your LCS or wherever you get your comics. So uh, Boom Studios has agreed to do that. Um, Marvel, I believe, is going to do that for us. Image, Image doesn't do that. But they're sending PDFs. They're, they're going to be sending us some PDFs and stuff like that. So hopefully we'll have some reviews for you. And if any Anybody you know is a reviewer or wants to be a reviewer wants to review some stuff. Um, give you know sh- give us an email or if you already have stuff that you reviewed if you've written you know send it to us. We have a, a section on our website where you can submit articles or reviews or if you just want to like you know yell about something you, you write an essay or something like that about comics. 
go on there and post it, and you know we'll we'll put it up there for you and give you credit on it and everything like that. But um, yeah, the, the site is very content rich right now, but that's mostly from comic companies and and what you're sent as PR releases. We want to get more and more listener involvement on the site, and we have people that are doing that right now. But we always want more. We always want to know what you, what you guys are reading and liking or not liking. And, and and also the you know the big, one of the big things is that you know really it's just me and Chris doing this stuff and and the news you know section mm-hmm. of our podcast and the news that's on the website the previews and we're just kind of putting that together as we can we're just two guys we have full time jobs and other lives and we're doing it as much as we can so you know I, I hopefully we can we can improve on that and get people that maybe want to get involved with it or whatever um, so that we can offer more and more content on the site absolutely yeah. We want to know what you guys think so we can tell you you're wrong. <laughs> and then tell you what to buy. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what to buy. Tell me what to buy. <laughs> uh, what to buy. My announcements, we have a major programming announcement. We are moving the home of Around Comics. Not the website, but us. We are, uh, starting next week, we will be recording live from Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles in Chicago. Our normal recording will be every Friday from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. If you are in the Chicago area, please drop by the store during a recording and meet the Around Comics crew and hang out with us afterwards. We'd love to meet you. Uh, to kick this off, we are going to be at Dark Tower this coming Saturday, May 6th, from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock, to celebrate Free Comic Book Day. That will be the topic of the show that day, and we plan on talking to a variety of comic fans during the show. Uh, in the future, we plan to tie in book signings with creators and have them sit in on the panel afterwards. We're very excited about this move, and we think it will bring the show to a whole new level. So, as far as I know, we will be the only comic book podcast that will be recorded live at a local comic book shop and there for you guys to walk in, meet us, and hopefully meet a uh, wide variety of creators. We're working on some right now, and and I think it's going to be cool. Tom, are you going to be there Saturday? Maybe. I might have prior engagement, but I I can shop for a little while. I just want to know where all those... Emo goth Sandman fans can come up <laughs> and cry on you. Well, if it's a sunny day outside, I don't see asses. any of them. So. We're going to shoot our ass. You can imagine to be able to watch one of those things live, because I, I was there for the Comic Geek Speak 100th episode, and that was a whole lot, hell of a lot of fun, and being able to see something recorded like that live is always enjoyable. So I'm sure everybody's going to have a lot of fun. I'll show up at 11, and I will stay until 3. Just an hour beforehand mm-hmm. for people that want to just look at me. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to put you on display. I'll be in a glass case. case. And here on your left, we have and drop, drop a microphone down in. He's uh, sealed in my life. What's, what's your top of the stack? He's it's in uh, condition. It's, uh, it's a rocket. It's a rocket. Coach wagon. Uh, Robot I'd man. I'd say he's more in very fine condition. Very fine condition. Yes, right. um, my, very my, fine my last okay. announcements, because I, I, I hear people screaming on their iPods, wrap it up, wrap it up. Uh, you can vote for us at Podcast Alley. That's great. We have a little issue at Podcast Alley. We have two entries there. Um, please, if you're going to vote for us there, vote for the one with the most current episode. We were like 160th last month on like our highest rated one, but I added up the tallies from both of our entries, and we would have been a top 80 show on Podcast yeah, Alley. For some reason, there's two around comics, the 
pages there on Podcast Alley. One of them goes up to, you know, episode 14, which is the latest episode. The other one stops at, like, episode 3. Yeah. That and they, one, they've been real slow to change to, that. To, yeah, to Jesus take it off there. So make sure you're on the one that says episode yeah. 14, or it'll be episode 15 here soon. But, but, but I tell you what. If you all out there would do me a favor, instead of, or in addition to voting for us at Podcast Alley, what I would prefer you to do, and we would be very, very thankful, go to iTunes. If you download the show through iTunes, write a quick review, quick paragraph. We would love to see more reviews at the iTunes Music Store. Um, it, it's it's important to me, and I would really appreciate it because I think more and more people are downloading shows through iTunes, and to have reviews there, I think, is more important than anywhere else. So please do that. Um, email us. We love to hear from listeners. We get a lot of emails. I want to hear more audio emails from you guys. We've got great feedback on the forum. Visit us there. And my last announcement is get ready for Wizard World Chicago. We're starting to put more and more things together. It is going to be August 3rd, 4th, and 5th. I know we'll be there on the 3rd and the 4th for sure. We'll be all over the convention floor. I think we're going to set up at Dark Tower's booth for uh, to do an episode on Friday and an episode on Saturday. But if you're in the Chicago area, definitely look us up. If you're not in the Chicago area... Think about coming in because Wizard World Chicago is just one of the best damn comic book conventions in the country. And and if you don't catch us on you know Friday day, during the day or Saturday during the day, we'll be set up at Knuckles Bar on <laughs> Friday night and Saturday <laughs> so, night. I use the word set up loosely. Well, <laughs> rack them up. Let's do this. Because <laughs> that's our role. That's our that's our role. All right. Uh, is that it for our announcements, everybody? I, I think so. I think that's everything we got. All right. Once again, thank you to Tom for being on the show again. I think you all are going to be seeing a lot more Tom. In well, the yeah, future. we didn't really announce that uh, yeah. kind of, you know, we, we've, Tom has been such a fantastic and amazing guest. And, and the minute he went and did another podcast, Chris and I. Signed him to an exclusive. Yeah, we've signed Tom to an exclusive. You're deal. our bitch now. So yeah. Tom is, is now uh, a, a permanent. Uh, member of the round comics. It won't affect my creativity. <laughs> I still, I can still do. I can do podcasts for um, as long as it's independent podcast. I can do podcasts besides comic book. So if anyone has a, Quick, turn it off. Turn it off. Yeah. Turn it off. <laughs> so if anyone has like a Harry Potter one, they want me to be on. Yeah, cast. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a tax. Yeah, a tax advice podcast they want me to be on. I can be on that, but as soon as you ask me about comic books, I have to leave. All right. (laughs) Guys, Ian, thank you again. Everyone out there, check out the Geek Speak podcast. Check out Ian's new podcast. We'll have, uh, we'll start a a thread on the forum about that. We'll put a link on the site for that. Ian is a fantastic podcaster and a great podcaster comic book fan we appreciate his contributions to our podcast community keep up the good work man thanks a lot man and thanks for the good press all right ian you have a great one everyone out there have a fantastic week if you're in the chicago area come out on saturday at dark tower comics and collectibles you can meet us if you'd like and hang around for the show and that is a wrap If you would like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com, or visit the Contact Us section of our website. 
For that and the latest in comics news and opinions, go to www.aroundcomics.com. Music for this show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next week, where the panel will change, but our mission stays the same, bringing you the best in discussion, news, and reviews in and around comics. <laughs>